Off the ball. If there was an Ireland job in the future, so I don't know, I think Brendan Rogers as a future Ireland manager, I, I could get behind Subscribe this. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Alright, you're very welcome along. It's Wednesday morning. It is the 21st of June. If you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream, youtube.com forward slash off the ball, or of course you can always get us at off the ball AM on Twitter. Uh, Shane is here. Shane, welcome back. Morning, thank you very much. Nathan is here. Nathan, how are you? How are you? Good. Shane was uh, at a festival at the weekend, Nathan, because he's a young man unlike us. So we do a festival, don't we, every year? Sometimes go to electric picnic and get yeah. the car to pick us up at ten o'clock when it starts to get a bit cold and have a little snooze in the in the car on the way back. That's pathetic. Glorious. It's magic. I did a ten for three nights. Bumped a lot of off the ball fans. I brought um I brought uh, in my little bum bag that I had all my supplies and I brought uh, a few little off the ball phone covers. You know the phone covers? Oh, just hand out to me. Hand them out like candy. What? You're like yeah. uh, what? Yeah, it was a good crack. What is this, like 1980s local radio? Yeah, basically. Midwest radio, well, they were based in Ballyhonest, but once upon a time they used to bring the roadcast, I remember to get in in excess tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sensation, magic. Sorry, any any chance... What would you... Any chance to do a bit of marketing, do you know? Was this approved? Approved by... by, marketing. uh, What did you bring with you? Off the ball phone covers. The, the, The already approved by marketing off the ball phone covers. You know? I didn't even know we had off the ball phone covers. Yeah, no. you, you've seen them. It's the thing. It's not a phone cover. It's the oh, thing sorry, your sorry. cards, yeah, card wallet. They hold your, they hold your bank cards in the back of your phone. Where did you get a pile of them from? Oh, they're under, like, under the stairs. When you say you're handing them out, like, yeah. this is this is. No, I, I, don't, I don't mean I, I wasn't up on stage throwing them out. Like uh, you know, if someone came over and said they're a massive fan of the show, and, and you just had them in your back. Oh my god, them, you know? Shane, Shane. Am I getting given, given out to by by? I'm not giving out. I'm just saying. Team off the ball here for for promoting the show. This is a in a positive sense. Turn of events. Yeah, I've never heard of the likes. Elvis Presley used to give a brand new Cadillacs. There you go. Well, sounds like it's off the phone cover. Yeah, you off the like phone cover. I, I, when days. I when I say that, I did it twice. I did it twice to the same to the same guy and his friend. Now so, you're uh, having to backtrack and go only two people actually. And were they delighted? Uh, oh, they were happy days. Yeah. Oh yeah. Send us in a picture of your uh, of your phone cover there, and uh, you, you and there. Shane at, in whatever stage of um, yeah undress. Den of Iniquity. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, Nathan. I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> he went for Den I like, of Iniquity. I like how your brain went there. Yeah. yeah. That was a lot of fun, though. I think it does take a bit of time to recover from, from three days in a tent, particularly. A uh, bit of rain was seeping in. I, I didn't double double stack my tent. It was one of those without the um, the cover on the second No layer. double bagging. No yeah. double bagging. So, uh, yeah, I got a little bit little bit of rain coming through, which wasn't great. Uh, Got to get yourself a proper tent. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to upgrade for my next festival, I think. Uh, Colin wants me to read this out. It says, Shane's girlfriend is lovely, says Jojo. Oh, I did bump into Jojo. Myself and my girlfriend bumped into Jojo. Yeah, and uh, we got a photo. We uh, had a lovely little chat. What, Do you know I how think you know Shane has a girlfriend? What? Do you know how you know Shane has a girlfriend? Go on. Go on. Talks about her never show. I <laughs> <laughs> didn't even know you had a girlfriend. It's, like, it's a so, daily update. I'm so proud of her, Nathan, you know? Well, you should be. Shout out to Aoife. Shout out to Aoife, yeah, yeah. Well um, yeah, so I think well, Jer broke the news last week, so it's, I, 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 yeah. I didn't bring it. I didn't bring her up myself, if, if, you, if you remember correctly. But um, yeah, glad to talk about it. Will we move on? Or no, do you want to talk, on, about, there, do you want to talk about your wives? Yeah. Do you want to talk about your wives? We have, we literally have a podcast. Yeah, you know, sorry, is that all about the kids? No. Well, so. <laughs> should be. Just going to let the long, uncomfortable silence linger this morning. Yeah.
I'm enjoying it. No, I'm enjoying it. Let's, I'm, I'm what festival were you at? It was uh, Beyond the Pale. Oh, yeah, where Beyond was that? That was in Glendalough. Okay. It was lovely. Like, like a nice small festival. Uh, obviously, beyond, beyond the Pale. Okay. I, I mean, I don't know. It kind of went in a straight line down. Out and straight. Anyway, that's your uh, the geography podcast that we don't do. Mm. That we can do more on that. And um, you missed uh, one of the times that I did want to talk about modern football. Uh, oh yeah, when they when they uh, shot the bed against Donegal. Turns out though, finishing third isn't exactly the worst thing in the world. Oh, you I think, think they, had, they got the handy draw against Kildare? Uh, is, that what you, is that what you think? Well, I, I, no, I definitely don't think that. But I think the the draw could have been worse. That's what he's saying. They got the handy draw against Kildare, folks. No, it was one of those draws. I think both Big time Charlie Monaghan Ulster football coming for poor little Kildare, who you know mm. got absolutely annihilated by the Dubs. I do think Kildare would be happy with the draw as well as Monaghan. Uh, it's one of those. We're keeping our counsel. We're smart like that. Yeah. But I know it's, it was a weekend of weird results in a GEA sense. So I, it's hard to know where Monaghan and Kildare are both at. Um, well, we shall find out because Tommy Rooney is going to be along around about half past eight this morning with the official power rankings. Not the other ones that are copied, basically cut and paste from Tommy's. And it's noticeable how everybody started to do power rankings, isn't it? It's like, oh, that really works. Everybody's talking about it the whole time. But ours are the official ones. Hmm just because we decided and we've been doing it the longest so that's coming up around half past eight Seamus Hickey is going to join us at ten past eight to talk to us about the impact of um, Declan Hannan's injury on the rest of the season uh, John Duggan's going to join us at nine o'clock and we've got Tom English at around about ten past nine to talk about the return of Brendan Rodgers to Celtic we haven't had you on Nathan I think since Brendan Rodgers got the Celtic job back you surprised? I was a bit surprised that he came straight back yeah, obviously there's the personal relationship with uh, Dermot Desmond seems to have sealed the deal and Rogers is in such a strange place in terms of his managerial career undoubtedly because of his personality because I don't think there's any question Brendan Rogers is a very, very good manager from what he did with Liverpool bringing them to the verge of a title and you can put it back in one game and he should have changed tactically when nobody in the world ahead of that game against Chelsea was saying he should have changed tactically and it all blew up at the very end but still... Uh, did a very good job at Liverpool, did an exceptional job at Celtic, gets Leicester to the cusp of the Champions League twice. Again, much like the Liverpool thing, almost ifs, buts, maybes, all of that. But this is a, a top-class manager. Uh, and I think Celtic, uh, most Celtic fans, when they get over the, oh, he's coming back again, and the fact he left us for a bigger club at Leicester, and which is a bigger club, yeah. who knows? Um I think it's a good appointment. It feels like maybe a safe appointment would be the only thing that you would worry about him, that when he went to Celtic last time, he was trying to restore his reputation. Is he you know, is he getting on a bit in terms of how long he's been in management? He's obviously still a young man. Yeah, I'd, But is there a bit of I'm coming back and I think this will be easy? I don't, I don't think he thinks it's going to be easy because I think that Rangers are going to start spending and they, they seem to be um, capable of it. But there's definitely an opportunity for him to do something good in European football. Like Ange's record in Europe, the performances were really interesting and there were some incredible matches, but they didn't back it up with getting out of a group or winning big games. Um, so, like, that, the, we were talking off air, he's like, Shane's making the point, he's going to have to win a treble straight off. It's like, you probably don't. You need to keep winning the league and you need to do something magical in Europe at some point over the next three seasons and that'll be considered a success. I do think, though, that he might have been as well off. If, if he really wants to manage a a top six English club and, and get an English club through to Champions League football where they're going to have the budget to be able to compete. The Eddie Howe template of taking a year out and waiting for everybody to restore your your reputation, like mm. it, because it happened straight away, 
he's still associated with Leicester going down, even though he didn't take them down. But if he'd taken a year out of football and turned down the mid-tier teams who came knocking, the the Everton's of the world and whoever else in that tier, and just waited for the, the, the next Spurs job to come around the next time, like that's that's going to happen more than likely. You yeah, know? yeah, I, I think you're dead right. Like the stink of Leicester will hang around for a little while, but. If you look at the way the Premier League is going to be set up for next season, there's probably, what, seven teams who all feel they should be finishing inside the top four, which means there's going to be a lot of pressure on two or three of those managers very early in the season. And actually, you're a guy who's been at a big club. Yeah. You know what it's like to be the Liverpool Won manager. Won a trophy. And you can step in at Christmas and take over for six months and suddenly go on a run and you're back. But that's why that would be the one concern, I think, that this feels like a safe option. He's going back into the bosom of Celtic and he knows the people. <laughs> And he's comfortable there. Yeah. Well, but just Eddie Howe took the year out, and all of a sudden was like, "Oh, this guy, we need to get him." It doesn't work for everyone, though. The year out, like you, you can, it can go the other way. Like Eddie Howe was lucky enough; he probably had the promise of a big job. He definitely had success in that year before. But like, Brendan Eddie, Eddie Howe presided out. over relegation. Yeah, I know, but he still had a good, good reputation, I think. And like, he's an English manager; they get a maybe a little bit more leeway than than some other managers. I think that uh, much like um, Andy Murray, a lot of people in England don't know that Brendan Rodgers is Irish. Yeah, it's true. And yeah, I think they. I think they've. Anyway, uh, it's a safe. It's a safe option for Celtic. Like after Ange Postecoglou, you need yeah, a safe it's option. Great for Celtic, I think. Yeah, hundred percent. But uh, Rogers, like, is it is it a step up, down, or over for Brendan? I Rogers? think who cares? It's a job. Job's job. Yeah, he's going to take. He's got to do something in Europe for it to be like a success for it to be considered a success. Well, so. his record in Europe isn't great. No, um, but like no manager's record in Europe for Celtic is going to be great over the coming years. Like. They just don't have the budget. You no. need to massively overachieve. Mm. Ange didn't do it. Brendan Rodgers didn't do it consistently. And in fairness, Ange had the best chance of doing it because he was able to shop in markets where there was some value and that's not going to be the case for Brendan Rodgers. He's not going to have a competitive advantage with knowledge of Australia and Japan and um, Asian football. Like Brendan Rodgers is going to know the Championship and the Premier League and the cast-offs and the best young players available there. And that might be enough to build something certainly that wins a, a league but whether or not it's going to be enough to get through a group which I think they kind of have to for him to be able to go look what I did that's the next stage of my career anyway let's move on because um, Stephen Kennedy is on the back of all of the newspapers today and uh, our award winners at the FAI Awards were you at the FAI Awards last night? No I don't even know if it was on TV it was if you're not on the judging panel I think I have been on the judging panel once since the Declan Rice saga you know, it wasn't held against me Rightly. What was your Declan Rice like? Well, we gave Declan Rice the uh, under-21 player of the year after oh. he had uh, declared for England. Oh, yeah. That's it. Uh, yeah. I mean... Uh, that, that wasn't... That, that, that was your personal decision. That wasn't my personal decision. There's a panel of judges. And you, so the you Soccer Writers like, yeah, Association that, put forward a panel of judges. And you... Uh, you... <laughs> I was on the panel the year, um, so I've been on the panel quite a few times. I'm, I'm fairly sure our colleague Kathleen McNamee was on the panel this year and uh, correctly chose Amber Barrett's goal. I'd imagine there was quite a debate about that because Nathan Collins' goal was a, a wonderful individual goal, mm. but there was such quality to you know Denise O'Sullivan's pass, Amber Barrett's touch, the goal, and all that. I remember having massive rows about context being key when it comes to goal of the season. Yeah, totally. That actually scoring yeah. in an important game is way better than a, a wonder goal. kick from the halfway line. Friendly. Yeah, exactly. Um, you were on the panel when they had to pick a goal of the year and there were no goals. Yeah, that was, was a another difficult time. one. So that year they ended up, I think, having to change it and bring in under 21 and under 19 goals <laughs> because the senior international team hadn't scored enough goals that weren't penalties or set pieces uh, for there to actually be a debate around it. 
The winners last night were Amber Barrett for International Goal of the Year, Courtney Brosnan, senior women's player, and Heather Payne, young women's player. Uh, Evan Ferguson was young men's player, Nathan Collins was men's senior player, and Will Smallbone was under-21s player. And they're all roughly similar. They're all going to have 10 years, hopefully, in the Ireland team together the next 10 years. And that's one of the things that um, Stephen Kenny is talking about. He's made an impassioned defence of his CV uh, at the end, at the very end of all of the press conferences, there is a piece that he does with the daily newspapers where there's no cameras and uh, there's no official audio recording made of it. Only, it's not for broadcast. Um, it's for the, the daily newspapers. And so um, it's in all the papers today. He, he basically list, listed off the various reasons why he got the job in the first place and why he was the best candidate for the job. And... Um, yeah, the, the papers are treating it in different ways. Quite clearly a, a plan manoeuvre because he, he asks for space at the very outset. He's like, sorry, can you all step back? And he's like, well, this is my, this is my soliloquy, as, as some people are calling it. What was it, nine minutes in total? Someone said mm-hmm. five minutes uninterrupted at one stage. Um, bit bizarre um, the way he's listed off his, his Wikipedia, essentially, and all his achievements. I think we're all aware of what he's achieved and the teams he's beaten in Europe at club level and the players he's brought through from the, the, the uh, underage scene at international level. Um, like, it, well, it does think of a manager under pressure for sure. Like, I don't think you you kind of go off on a on a speech like this unless you feel a little bit of pressure. It's a very very Stephen Kenny thing to do. Well, that's true. Yeah. In some ways, he's at his best when he's talking like this, and he's been in this studio many times where, again, you ask him a question about one thing, and he's halfway through it, and he just stops and pauses for a second, and next thing, there's six minutes of this is what I believe, this is what I think football should be, these are the players that I want to deliver success for Ireland with. And he's just a totally different character to the one you often see in the press conferences, which is nervous and looking around and you feel like not fully committed to the process of the press conference. And this was another one of those. It's hard to disagree with an awful lot of what he said. You know, he said, I've won more trophies than anyone in modern history. I'm the most successful Irish manager at this time. That is definitely true. Again, he talks about the amount of players he brought through. There's probably a slight little bit of exaggeration around some of it in terms of the amount of players who've actually been there and uh, the nine years without a player being developed, which in some ways is true. But, you know, the likes of Alan Brown and Matt Doherty, who maybe didn't play at underage level, uh, have come through. It's just the timing of it. Uh, When you talk like this, when you're under the level of pressure that Stephen Kenny is, that it can come across as sort of a desperate plea for more time. And it's probably reflected by the coverage in the papers today that uh, some feel that it was Kenny, again, uh, giving his best self, and others feel this was uh, the last act of a man who, if you read the Daily Mail, and Philip Quinn says, future is hanging in the balance over the next 10 days, that the FAI board are split in terms of whether he should continue or not. Well, like... Um, surely we're not going to pull the trigger now when uh, and get a new manager in to take the two most difficult games? That doesn't make any sense. No, um, though you could just say that they're a write-off anyways. But, like, but that's they're stupid. not a write-off. Um, well, they're certainly not, because they've, or maybe because they've sold the tickets they feel that the money is in the bank. But, like, uh, you know, have, having no manager... The, the, so the Lee Carsley story, which has bubbled up, right, and has... Um, uh, he's he's been mentioned by various people and he's in the papers today because England are in the Euros uh, the England 21 side in the Euros and it's a glittering array of stars so there's a lot of pressure on Lee Carsley to deliver because he has undoubtedly the best squad in the tournament and so therefore 
England expects and they will expect that, that, that he wins that tournament um, there's no guarantee that he's going to be a successful international manager right and there's, I, I doesn't it's some one of the papers is reporting that they have yet to make contact with him um, but if you were going to like if, if there are board members who are like oh we need to get rid of him now well what's your replacement plan and is it definitely going to be better than what we have at the moment I, like I, I actually don't think that there's any guarantee that anything is going to be better than what we have at the moment given the quality of the players we have and I also feel like these two big games that are coming up are going to be the hinge point where we, we know we're totally gone or we think we have some chance of getting through international football is really weird at the moment uh, Poland are in a swoon Luxembourg won 2-0 away from home against Bosnia last night mm-hmm. like Scotland are the best team in the world Scotland in the rain I mean that game should never have started the way it did they were amazing in the first uh, 10 minutes and then the game disappeared for an hour but um, like the the bad results across Europe that are happening would suggest that it's possible that one of the teams in our group hopefully has to be the Dutch at this stage um, have a catastrophic collapse from their perspective uh, but we're not the favourites to get through if that does happen you'd have to say Greece are so well, like, the best scenario is that ourselves, Greece and the Netherlands probably all end up beating each other at this stage and it comes down to a couple of big nights at the very end um, and that Ireland somehow get their results to keep them in this because the playoff option, you mentioned all those results, they're not good for Ireland in terms of qualifying for a playoff. It's going to go right to the wire for that but at the moment it would definitely be a struggle for Ireland to get a playoff um, with some of those, as we would say, teams ranked below us overperforming. Moldova beat Poland last night, mm. which is one of those, uh, you know, you, we tend not to pay that much attention to the rest of uh, Europe's results, but Poland are absolutely disastrous at the moment, despite the fact they have a population of 40 million and some world-class players. This June uh, run of fixtures is one that the players do not like. Mm. You talk to former internationals and they'll never say it publicly because they love playing for their country and they love playing for their country at any time. But they absolutely hate the June fixtures because the season is done. They're tired. Their mates who don't play international football are off on holidays. They're looking at their pictures of them on the beach and they just want to be there as well. But of course, they love their country so they turn up for in June. But they're not at their absolute peak. Now, again, part of the problem for Stephen Kenny is any of these excuses, he almost takes them away from himself in advance. Like They had the Turkish training camp I still feel that the first 15 minutes in Greece sort of unravelled everything that they had worked on and not necessarily from a tactical point of view. It's just Greece were so good in that first 15 minutes and they penned them back and they had the seven, eight corners in a row and it wasn't necessarily in that first 15 minutes that Greece had done anything tactically outstanding. It was just they were relentless in how they got at Ireland. And I think Ireland were a little bit shell-shocked after that that they never really settled into the game. They never properly recovered. Greece set back and when Greece set back, Ireland were allowed into it at times. But that meant that everything went out the window that they had worked upon. And everything Stephen Kenny said in that monologue is correct. But then the results have undermined him. Yes, he has developed all these players. And it may well be that Lee Carsey, whoever's next, uh, feels the fruits of that and the success and has the Evan Ferguson glory years where he's scoring in every single game and guiding his country. But those players, unfortunately, have let him down. Whether when they're pulling on the green jersey are just with how their careers have developed and they haven't developed the way I think all of us thought just one, 18 months ago. Yeah, and let, let's talk about that in a bit, bit of detail. But one caveat to that is that the shape of the team was wrong from the start. And so I, well, exactly. I, I accept that they were overwhelmed in the first 10 or 15 minutes, but the shape of the team was wrong and they didn't give themselves the opportunity to succeed. We, we go back to this, um, there was a hurling league game where... Cork made loads of changes at half time and everything improved in the second half and uh, like the the implication was they were working harder but actually 
they weren't it was just that players were put in a position to look better and so they're the subtle changes that good managers the great managers are able to affect and in fairness in fairness even um, Damien Delaney was making the point well credit to the manager he changed his plan at half time and it worked in the Gibraltar game so like this is not to say that he, he can't see it and he obviously has and I think that's the point of listing off the successes that he had is that like he has been involved in big European games against far superior sides to the one that he had and still was able to play good quality football and tactically analyse the opponents so um, but the point you're making about the Irish players like we needed Jason Knight to play championship football and to be one of the best players in the championship but instead he was in League One and there's still talk that he might be in League One again next season with Derby although there is an offer and he's gone off to think about that we needed Adam Eda to have a full season of football where he was scoring between 10 and 15 goals and leading the line and, and a number one starter for a team in the championship and for injury and loss of form that didn't happen we needed Andrew Omabamadeli to justify the speculation that he's now being linked with AC Milan and other teams and again be a nailed on starter and undroppable uh, at Norwich. That wasn't the case. And you can go through the team. Nathan Collins comes out of the team as soon as Lopetegui gets to, uh, um, to Wolves and he has not kicked on despite the fact he looks like he is exactly the type of defender that Premier League teams want. He's got all the skill sets. We needed Troy Parrott not to be outshone by Tom Cannon, but Tom Cannon arrived and showed, actually, you can score a hat full of goals for Preston North End. And then you go through the team, like, very few players, with the exception of Ferguson, and, like, obviously we're so excited about Evan Ferguson, but he plays game in, game off, because he's only 18, and they're managing him properly at Brighton. But with the exception of Ferguson, nobody else had a great season. Seamus Coleman had a great season, I would argue. He had one of, like, it was a complete renaissance in terms of his effectiveness and the role that he played with Everton. But after that, Gavin Bazuna was called out on, on television by Jamie Carragher as, like, one of the worst goalkeepers in the Premier League, which I thought was completely unfair from Carragher, by the way. And he, I think it's also bollocks, but I think he's going to have a great season next season. Like, where does Stephen Kenny point to the players going, yeah, this is all working out for me? Like, he's yeah, been. Does that not give Stephen Kenny a bit of leeway? Like, it's not his fault. No, it gives. An, no, it gives. It, gives it, it should. But he can't say these players aren't. He can't say what Liam Brady said because his whole, his whole philosophy was these are good players. I believe in these players. I believe that as, as Irish players, they're capable of doing stuff. Sorry, Josh Cullen had a good season, but then it's been abysmal for Ireland in, in that game. I didn't see enough of Will Smallbone at Stoke. Maybe he was excellent, but he still seems to be uh, in that adapting to senior international football stage where uh, he looks overwhelmed by everything. Malumbi in and out of the team a bit, more in than out in fairness. Daryl Shea, really, really important player for us, injured twice playing for Ireland on Ireland duty and so didn't quite have the season that he um, he could have had. Even if you lose the French, French and Dutch games in September, like he probably keeps the job, doesn't he? You've only got three more games. You've got two months thereafter. Yeah, Finish the campaign. On the manner. Depends on the manner. Yeah. If you have your usual heroic Irish failure, maybe you get to survive uh, until the next run of fixtures and you get Greece at home and you see if you can win that one. There's also, is that when you make the change and a potential playoff next March, you give somebody a run of four or five games before that to get used to the players. But all of that is 100% true on Stephen Kenny and what he's had to deal with. The argument against will be if you'd kept some of the more senior players involved, that even though they haven't had good club seasons, they have international experience that they can fall back upon. And you do look at, say, Darrow Shane, the mistake he made at the back that almost gifted Gibraltar a goal. I wonder, is that... Like, that was put down as Stephen Kenny is telling his players to play out from the back too much. That's Darrow Shane not having played any football. Yeah. They, there's no way in the world Stephen Kenny saying when there's three Gibraltar players around you in your own area, mm. maybe try a little dink inside. 
No chance. Like, that's just a bit of inexperience and a bit of rustiness in a player. But there's no guarantee it's going to change next season is the problem. Now, Kenny, again, is talking, you know, September... We should be in a good position. Players yeah, but that's, back that's why it's but a big, big summer for all those players. We and just don't know, are they going to be in the team? We don't know. Nathan Collins has been linked with a move potentially away from Wolves. There's talk of him going to Crystal Palace. Again, he's in that mid-table spot at the moment where we all see the talent, but you're at clubs that change managers every six months. He was also linked with Brentford, which I thought mm. would be an amazing move if you could get it, if um, you know, if the manager stays there and they were to sign him and he was to be uh, you know, picked by the manager. That would be good, I think. So who knows? Who knows? I don't think the FAI are going to um, make a decision next week. Like, the FAI board is split. Who is the FAI board? Like, is Robert Watt in there saying, I'm sick of going to the Aviva Stadium and watching this? Well, I'm sorry. Your opinion on football doesn't really count for much around here. You're here to restore our financial reputation. That's your job. So who is making that decision? Mark Canham, you would have to assume, will be leading it on the football side with Jonathan Hill. You can understand why Mark Canham might look at somebody like Lee Carsley. Canham has come through that coaching route, would have worked with him very closely when he was the head of coaching at the Premier League, and that Carsley was involved with Manchester City and was then involved at the England under-21s. And I don't think we should write off Lee Carsley. Like, the question over Lee Carsley is obviously mm-hmm. his lack of senior managerial experience. And I saw the point being made last night, I think it was by Ian Hart, of, you know, he'd get players playing on the front foot. I can tell you, there's no easier gig in world football to get players playing on the front foot than in a manager of the England under-21s when you look at the talent they have. It's or, not or, real football. Or, or Man City. <laughs> uh, so, but that does... Carsley, like, we should applaud and laud Lee Carsley for the way he's gone about his career. Yeah. And the quality of players he has worked with at underage level and the way he's educated himself. And David Connolly was really interested on Saturday talking about coming to Connolly and looking for a mentor and Connolly being able to recommend somebody who sort of guided him through his coaching career. But the other part is this bit. This is the bit that actually is quite big as well. It turns out it shouldn't be for an out of manager. Is Stephen Kenny speaks for five minutes. It's printed word for word in almost every paper. You have to sit through 20 press conferences over the space of three weeks. You've got to be word perfect in every one of them. People like There's a level of pressure to this that is way beyond anything Carsley has experienced, anything obviously Kenny has experienced as well. But there's not a whole lot of other options out there right now. Like the Chris Hutton ship has sailed, you would assume, both with the job he's in at the moment well, and I think with the style of football. Like there is definitely a revisionism as to what went before around Stephen Kenny. Like the Gibraltar game, I mentioned this before the match, if you think of the Mick McCarthy 2 0, like that was a The one in Gibraltar or the one? Oh, the one over here. The one, uh, so there was the 1 0 over in Gibraltar, his first game in charge. But then four games in, they played Gibraltar back here and Ireland had won. They'd beaten Georgia and then they'd drawn over in Denmark and they beat Gibraltar 2 0 and Robbie Brady scored in the last minute to make it 2 0. And Ireland had 10 points from 12. But that felt like a turning point in sort of the conversation around Irish football of we're top of the group here. But is this really what we want? Yeah. Like, the game was dull and dour, and now maybe uh, Monday's game wasn't much better as it turned out in the end. But uh, Monday's game had chances, though. Like it, did have a, it did have a lot of chances, and look, that's what Gibraltar will do. But people have quickly forgotten what it was like at that stadium over the previous 10 years, how people had lost interest. And, you know, I... I think not, it's not just the Don Deces of this world who feel that Stephen Kenny has done something, has done the right thing, has brought through an awful lot of very good young players. But the problem has been, tactically, All right. it just hasn't worked. Let me get to some of the, the comments here. Uh, would Ireland as a team be relegated, hold their own or get promotion in the Championship? Ask Shifty that. You were listing off the England under-21 side. And, I don't know, I mean, Ireland senior team versus the England under-21s, you'd make the England under-21s favourite, would you? 
Yeah, you look at that England 21 squad, so 21 championship is on uh, this week. Levi Caldwell, Ollie Skip, who's playing uh, pretty much every week for Spurs at the end of the season. Curtis Jones, who I know, lads, hold on. had an unbelievable run at the end of the season. Jacob Ramsey. Jacob Ramsey. You wouldn't have the England 21 Harvey Elliott, Morgan Gibbs-White, Anthony Gordon, Emil Smith-Rowe. Listen, there's a fi- there'll be a have physicality you, the team? you would expect. Yeah, but that, that team doesn't beat the Irish senior team. Well, no, no chance. Look no, at the squad. No, n- definitely no, not. No chance. No, no. Like, there's, like Please agree with me, Nathan. Uh, like, it's a very young Irish squad is the other thing as yeah, well yeah I know like, starting Premier League players versus there's, one there's, there's not a huge if this was an three enough I would say a Mick McCarthy or Martin O'Neill Irish senior team would beat an England under 21 team no problem because they'd be just so battle hardened would they, would it, would they? or maybe to get the uh, the rings around them um, uh, Kenny is probably our unluckiest manager ever but the dog in the park could see we were outnumbered out wide in the first half in Athens says JP Wright Kenny's not unlucky says Barry Power you make your own luck Three years of PR and BS is enough. Sack him now. Kean Rose says, we have to define what success is. Uh, going to tournaments is success. Anything beyond that, you're a legend status. Kenny is held to a stupid high standard considering what he has to work with. I uh, think, thanking Kenny for bringing on... Uh, move the page on me there. Thanking Kenny for... Uh, where's it gone? Do, do, do. Should the FAI be actively approaching young players with Irish heritage in the English leagues rather than waiting for them to come to us? Jude Bellingham, for example. Sorry, Joe, Joby Bellingham. The, that's Stephen Walsh. I'm fairly certain that we've done this before, Stephen. And uh, when you do that, and then the player reaches a point where they're like, actually, I don't feel particularly Irish, and then they go and play for England. We're like, oh, you traitor. You betrayed us. No how many awards you give them? <laughs> no, matter how many, no matter how many awards you give them. Declan Rice was the best under 21, so it would have been ridiculous not to give him the award, says FPL <laughs> underscore Rubber Ducky, which is clearly Nathan's burner account. Yeah. <laughs> What's that meme from, is it Win the Chicks the Body or Michael Collins, where the, the guy's writing down the, the names of the... No, that's, um, uh, that's it's Michael Collins, yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Broy. Ah, yes. I, I, at the time, I made no apologies for it. No, certainly yeah, not making any name apologies is on for that it list. Yeah. Uh, the FAI do that brilliantly. Like, they... They identify, and I know people have seen, is it um, Jude Bellingham in the Ireland jersey, Harry Kane in an Ireland jersey, Jack Grealish, Declan Rice in an Ireland jersey, but you know, there's only so far you can go with this. Yeah, what was the point of it in the end? Uh, thanking Kenny for bringing on Championship in Division 1, delusional, the talent ain't there, lads, end of, says Danny Mac 1. I think the point is, right, that we don't have anybody else to play in those positions. Uh, you can go through the players who were not picked or unavailable, um, uh, and it's like, oof, would Jeff Hendrick have made a significant difference? Would we have played Duffy, who barely played any football this year? And would that have made a significant difference in any of the games? Maybe he goes and plays every game next well, That season? question of, if Mick McCarthy was still in charge, what would the Ireland team look like? Or whoever comes in next, what can they do differently? Like, would it have been Shane Duffy and John Egan at centre-back, Jeff Hendrick in midfield, Will Keane and James Collins up front... We've never even heard of Anamita yet. We're still thinking maybe we should get him in the squad. Troy Parrott, oh, if it ever happens, like, would Troy Parrott have any caps by now? Never mind you know, heading for 20 caps at this stage. Probably not. Uh, the question is whether you value those 20 caps now or whether you think it's all been an absolute waste of time uh, the last three years giving these players this experience. Should we have stuck with the tried and tested regardless of what they were doing um, at club level? I'm not sure. I think the benefits will eventually be seen. Uh, but again... Like all of the positive things that we can say that Kenny has done are undermined by 
tactically getting it wrong at the big moments. The, the good moments have only been grand is the problem and the bad moments have been horrifically uh, bad whether yeah. it's Luxembourg or Armenia or what happened on Friday night like Vinnie Perth was in here ahead of the game and pretty much called it exactly and it was interesting talking to Matt Doherty after the match obviously the stuff about the ref got more attention but when I was asking him about the difficulty he had you know he had a really interesting line on oh we had expected the wingers to play inside like that's what they always did but they played on the outside and suddenly we're outnumbered. Like, Somebody up that. in the stand needs to be able need, to say, yeah. you know. And, and make the switch and make the change. And, and there in the stadium on, in Athens, I definitely felt after 20 minutes, like this is a game where you were well within your rights to make a change, make a substitution, take Anamita off after 20 minutes and bring yeah. on an extra midfielder. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, folks, I'm an FAI season ticket holder. Kenny can't go on the pitch and pass the ball. Players are regularly giving the ball away on simple passes. Folks speak of Kenny out. It won't solve our issue, says uh, David Bowles. Yeah, are we too obsessed, obsessed with, the job, with the manager's job in this country? Like, we obsess... O- no, of course we're going to obsess over it, but the players get away with, with quite a little bit. I, like, I, I, performance-wise, did, like against Greece, it was just pathetic. Um... We but need more people saying they're the worst group of players. No, no, I, I'm not saying stick the boot into the players, but surely there has to be a shared responsibility here. The manager can't take the whole brunt of, of it all the time. As you say, it's a pressure job. Every single word Stephen Kenny says is going to be scrutinised, and rightly so, but he's taken everything here. Like, and There's not even a mention of his backroom team, and Stephen Kenny in that uh, speech the other night was keen to stress the backroom team as well and point out how good it is. Um, but the responsibility needs to be shared, surely. The elephant in the room is Anthony Barry, that when he came in and his coaching brilliance arrived on the scene, that Ireland improved quickly. And you can credit Stephen Kenny for getting him in the first place and bringing him in. But, you know, the other coaches he's brought in just do not have that level of experience and haven't been able to make as instant an impact. I think the players probably do get away with it a little bit because of the rage, because of their inexperience. You know, we probably still look at Seamus Coleman or Matt Doherty or James McLean as the ones that we'll home in on if their performance level isn't right. Like Cullen, anyone who watched Cullen over the two games, he was miles off. I watched back Friday night's game over the weekend and there was a moment, and there's a million different moments in a game, there was a moment just after McLean came on, directly from the substitution Ireland had a throw in. And it was just so interesting to watch Cullen. The ball comes to him, it's played in by Malumbi. He's 30 yards out. There's a Greece player sort of closing them down. Malumbi makes this really good diagonal run towards the edge of the area. And if Cullen just takes a step forward with the ball, he can slot him in. Instead, his touch is a little bit heavy. He turns around, and within two passes, the ball is back inside Ireland's half again. And they're the bits that Greece did, that Josh Cullen... Like, is Cullen going to play in Burnley? It's going to be really interesting to see if he can step up to a Premier League level. But what we saw over the last two games, you know, Cullen was was miles off it. And if, again, six months ago, we're saying Cullen is the one guy who's irreplaceable. Yeah, and if if uh, he doesn't play next season, it'll be John Egan, potentially uh, Coleman, and uh, obviously Ferguson, and that's it that we have as Premier League starters next season, right? There's nobody else at the moment. Collins isn't a starter. Um, is there anybody else? Anybody? Bueller? Anybody? No, I'm just trying to think. Is there anyone? So, look, I think that there's a... there's We're, we're reaping the whirlwind for what has been sown over that decade when there weren't enough players who were coming through, and that was as a result of the uh, underage system. But to Vinny's point, the underage system has improved vastly, and we are getting players who are playing football coming through, and we're seeing more players 
uh, make it to the age of 18 the standard in the league is improving and like this is going to be a long slow steady climb now maybe the, maybe the correct answer is to is to go back to a boring 4-4-2 and just aggressively try and uh, pick all the big lads and play crap football and get 25,000 at the games but qualify for tournaments once every three goals and you never you're stuck in this kind of cycle go back of to that though nonsense. Well, that, that's, what, go back to that. that's what people are calling for that's what people want that's what everybody's forgotten uh, Confidence Wellness says I like Kenny and he's brought through a lot of young players 100% Nathan the way he just described a potential Mitt McCarthy team there now sums up the progress that Ireland have made we need to keep Kenny and give him more time what's the alternative uh, Bielsa would have been perfect to help make average young players better <laughs> I think we're living in, in cuckoo land in this country sometimes aren't we like fantasy world where we think the likes of Marcelo Bielsa would want to take the Republic of Ireland international job uh, and look, that's We're why full of our own importance. Like that's why Lee Carsley is like the only name that has. It, what happens in these scenarios is that um, one one name becomes essentially available, wants to do it, and is in the price bracket. And the the whole narrative fixates around that. And there's never this sense of like, well, we've actually we've had a, a world class recruitment uh, process. Where we've we've sought out the very best, and we've got. And that's not to say you know Carsey could be a great international manager. I'm just not quite sure about the timing from his perspective. Well, the timing from his perspective. So, if England go and win the under twenty one championship, obviously it will do his reputation no harm. Is he going to get the England job after Gareth Southgate? Like he had a very good career, but he is Irish. Are they going to give the Irish manager? the England job well, uh, I'm not quite sure that they are again. and I think it, he's probably still looking at a championship job where again you're in that never ending uh, circle of six month gigs here and there so I, I can understand why he would want that Ireland job and again I'm not saying Lee Carsley could well end up being exactly what Ireland needs somebody because and I know you feel that the history of Irish football is we go from one extreme to the other like it doesn't have to be that way. This is not the FAI of John Delaney anymore. This is a different FAI, and you know the football people who will make the decision. I can't see them going back to let's just go old school. Let's just let's just get results. Doesn't nothing else matters. I think they'll want someone like Lee Carsley, who's a coach, who can develop these young players further. So Carsley may well be the right man. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo scored again last night. Yeah, two hundredth appearance. 200 appearances uh, for his country. 123 goals, I was sure he was going to retire after he got dropped, but no, he has uh, lasted everybody. And they won. Uh, Injury time winner from Cristiano Ronaldo. One of those where the guy who headed went to VAR, so he he had to have two celebrations. Um, He'd only love that. The player who headed it down to him could surely have scored himself uh, from about eight yards out and put the entire thing in jeopardy by heading it down to uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. But yeah, he got his goal. So, well done. Delighted for him. (laughs) Uh, there's a brewing story around Chelsea and Saudi Arabia and the fact that they're going to be able to offload a lot of those players that they signed and get transfer fees for and uh, Gary Neville is calling for an investigation into it so we'll just follow that story over the the next few days as well Bristol City are after um, night by the way that's uh, one of those stories that uh, like he has to get out of the championship right or the uh, Uh, League one. One yeah yeah Bristol City again this is where we probably lose the run of ourselves when Jason Knight plays well and he did play well um, on Monday night we think like this guy needs to be in a Premier League um, but there are levels and maybe Knight needs to go and have good season in the Championship and possibly kick on from there but 
I don't know what's going on behind the scenes with Jason Knight that you know he just can't seem to leave Derby just cannot seem to get the hell out of there um, uh, whether you know with his agent or whether he's happy in the area or something like that but he says there's really be. good stuff happening in the background of the club and they're very ambitious and they're going to get back to where they used to be which would obviously be the Premier League and that would be an incredible story and you know he could he could bestride the uh, League One like a colossus and that could be excellent for his development but it feels like he needs to be playing at a higher level than that weekend I want to to see him at AZ Alkmaar or exactly what we see with Greece where players are playing around Europe playing Europa League football used to different styles of football League 1 Championship is obviously a very high standard but it's a relentless slog where it's a certain type of football you have to play we need our our players playing different places learning different things Tomorrow night you're... um Today is Wednesday, tomorrow's Thursday, it's in Talat. You're out uh, watching Ireland play Zambia, a, a, an international side who we have some hopes for, who are, are going to a tournament. Well, you know, a, some world-class a reality players. is going to set in for this team very quickly if things don't go well in Australia and the criticism is going to come on uh, uh, rather heavy, I would imagine, if they don't go well in Australia. Yeah, uh, tomorrow night, first friendly. So it's, we're, what, less than a month away now from mm. the start of the World Cup. Uh, tomorrow night is a friendly against Zambia um, which is the sort of warm-up to the big friendly then against France in two weeks' time. The squad is going to be named in between. We're doing a big show next Wednesday night, this night next week, at the Mansion House, um, which I, if you're interested, I would, you can get tickets and um, check out the Off the Ball website. We're going to have the entire squad there. There's going to be some special guests. It's the big uh, formal send-off for the team. And then they're going to announce the squad the following morning. Um, so, yeah, tomorrow <laughs> night, sell-out in Tala. Um, both games sold out uh, really quickly, so it'll be a really good atmosphere. Um, but it's going to be an important game because for those players, sort of probably between 18 and 26, 27 in the squad as to who are the final few. And so do you think that that's what happens in the team selection or will there be an opportunity for players to play alongside the, the best team? Well, there won't be because Denise O'Sullivan won't be there. Uh, Katie McCabe, while she's in camp, I would be surprised if she started tomorrow night. She was arriving in a little bit later than everybody else. So because of... Uh, the big gap again between the end of the season there's probably a little bit of mixing and matching that Vera Powell is going to have to go through uh, she's obviously seen a lot in training as well uh, that will help her make a decision but you know players have uh, recently in those friendlies played very well and Vera Powell seems to have responded by going yeah you've shown me enough there that you can get in so there will be a chance for somebody tomorrow night to uh, state their claim or else they'll just be the Matt Letizia of the whole thing and turn up wow us all and Vera Powell goes nah, not, not interested yeah alright um, the news came through as well that uh, Neil McManus has retired from Antrim Hurling it's one of the all time great hurling careers but very much off Broadway and so doesn't always get the uh, care and attention that he deserved but it was a sensational career that he put together and he announced his retirement yesterday which I don't think it's carried in any of the papers this morning but uh, Nathan good stuff thanks very much for that Cheers, 11 minutes past 8 this morning Braeburn Coffee the official coffee partner of Off the Ball Braeburn Coffee coming to an Apple Green store near you new locations are popping up every month visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Braeburn to find your nearest Braeburn coffee experience during the ad break you're going to hear a clip from the latest episode of the football pod Paddy James and Tommy questioning whether Galway are in need of a lift to get their year going not long left for them now if they don't get it going they're out at the weekend the football pod is in partnership with AIB proud sponsors of the football hurling and camogie all-Ireland club championships check out hashtag the toughest for more after the ad break Seamus Hickey OTB AM the sports breakfast show from off the ball top pocket goal ahead of this summer's football in Australia we 
football in Australia. It's what dreams are made of. We'll be hosting a night of celebration for the Republic of Ireland women's national team in partnership with Sky, and it's coming your way on June 28th in the Mansion House in Dublin. What a moment for the Republic of Ireland. We'll be joined by the full squad. I don't know what we've just done. You know, I did believe we could do it. As well as some other great guests as we give the team a night to remember. Emma Bird is in tears. <laughs> I can't believe it. We've finally done it. Tune in to all of Off The Ball's channels for a chance to win tickets to this exclusive event. Sky, proud primary partners of the Republic of Ireland women's national team. Out believe together and we can go anywhere. They are going to the World Cup Finals. But I will say that Sean Kelly is an unbelievable operator. I think he is, mm. he is a great player. The way he can carry the ball and change direction and actually get scores. He doesn't just dish it off and dish, dish, or dish off the responsibility either. He wants to get the score. But the Good thing, the, you're right about Shane Walsh. I, I'd be worried about him because last year he hit a height in the All-Ireland Final, which was massive. And he could exactly. go away then. Won the club All-Ireland, obviously. But you still have that pain of the All-Ireland defeat in the back of your head. You're kind of thinking... That that needs to be remedied, you know, and you should have that kind of desire and focus to, to to rectify that and win it this year. And I don't think that seems to be there with him at the moment. Now he's the type of fellow who can turn it on at any stage, but at the moment he doesn't seem to be locked in like the McGuigans or the Canavans or even the Cliffords. Mm. And for someone that just lost an All Ireland final, I find it a little bit surprising because he's an unbelievable player, a great player. Unbelievable kicker, but he just needs. If he can Im- improve that that ten percent that that is there, that he's just not playing. It'll take all the way on to the next level. Whatever about Comer and missing this fella, that fella, and Comer is huge. But Walsh is the man. They need him, and they need him at, at well, a Walsh, certain level. Walsh's ceiling is so high. Yeah. Like his his top form puts him probably up there with Clifford as the best player in the game. Like he, he's that good. Like, when he's like, at totally it, really at but that's what it is, and that's, and we're talking about God, we, many people, like, and I was one of these, I think they're gen, really, really genuine all Ireland contenders. It's on the basis that these guys play to their best. And that has to be a worry that they're not. They're not playing to, and you, you can kind of say, well, we're probably going to win this group. We might get an easier quarter final. We, we can time this a bit better. That's out the window now for Galway. That is, you need to peak now, next Sunday. That is as big a test as they're going to get playing their, their, their local rivals. So that's and if he, if he doesn't, I mean, this is supposed to pressure high level sport. If if they don't perform, if if Walsh or Comer's not available or Sean Kelly's not available, if they don't perform, Galway could be out of the championship. Yeah. And I had Galway as my favourite. That's the reality. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. We will bring you Tommy Rooney's power rankings in about 15 to 20 minutes to see where his favourites uh, go away are in the power rankings now. But we're turning to hurling. I'm delighted to say Seamus Hickey is with us. Seamus, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, mate. How are we? Um, the Declan Hannan news is really, really important. And it kind of slipped out a little bit under the radar over uh, to, for the rest of the country. I presume it was a bit of a seismic uh, shock to Limerick hurling fans in particular. Um, what What... What can they do to somehow make up for the loss of him as a hurler and also as a leader on the pitch? Yeah, so, so to me this is big, right? So this is um, I didn't get any indication when he was when he's able to carry himself off the field in Paris. He came off over under his own steam uh, in the Munster final. I got no impression that it was going to be 
Uh, I didn't even think it was the knee. Uh, so it was something that was a little bit unexpected, I would say. Um, and I would say huge impact. Personally, I I hold Declan up there as, you know, one of the top three components of that whole successful setup. Uh, captain, leader, player, quality of the of the, the way he plays, number six. You know, so, so for me, you're talking about impact. It's a, a big impact. Can other players on the Limerick squad play six? Yes. Yes, they can. No problem. Uh, that'll happen. Uh, you'll likely see Dan Morrissey go to six and you'll like see Mike Casey go to three and you'll bring in Richie, Richie English probably. Um, or one of the, or one of the new guys who's pushing Richie for a cornerback spot. But it's what Declan brings to the overall. It's his presence, his leadership, um, on the field particularly. Uh, and I've probably said this a couple of times and at risk of repeating myself, but the times when he, has, when he has been off the field in the last four years have been the times when I think this Limerick team has looked vulnerable um, and just not, um, you know, definitely not at their best. So, you know, for, for me, yeah, big, big impact. Uh, hoping hoping that, you know, it's... Uh, it's one of those things where you know if there's a if we progress beyond the semi-final that there's a chance of, of him being there the, the big day. But you can only take the days as they come, and uh, it'll be a tough test regardless of who comes through Galway or Tipperary for Limerick to face without him. We'll talk about Galway and Tip in a moment, but just to, to uh, tease this out a little bit more, what is it that makes him such a special uh, leader? Let's talk about the hurling in a moment. But what what are leadership qualities? How do they manifest themselves? So. It, it's interesting, right? So we've we I played under a good few captains uh, in Limerick uh, back through the years, and some really really excellent captains, um, I suppose. But when uh, you know, to me, one of the, the the best ones that comes to mind, you're, you're talking about the likes of Donald O'Grady Dodge. We we won a Munster in 2013, right? A, a, a more quiet leader, um, not all about talk. You know, very much about about uh, leading by actions, right? So Declan falls into that category. And then when we, when John Kiley came in, he had, we had James Ryan for his first year of, uh, when John was, John Kiley was cap- manager and James Ryan was captain, but then James retired. And it was a big decision as to who you're going to pick from this group. You had a, a huge amount of emerging talent from the All-Earn 21 winners of 2016, you know, with big names, the likes of Keen Lynch, you're talking about the likes of, you know, you had Garrod Hegarty in there, you had Dermot Burns, you had, you know, we had Sean Finn on the scene at that stage. So, like, we had some exceptional talent and leaders uh, coming through from, from that group of players. You had some of the guys who were still around. You had the likes of the senior guys like myself. You had Nicky Quaid, you had Graham Mulcahy. So you had a, a good mix of, of people. And when he chose Declan, you know, it was it was one of those it was one of those decisions that when you make it, it rests really easy on the group. It, it rests very very easy. If you're talking about a guy that everybody respects, admires, exceptionally likable, that all makes a difference in a dressing room. Um, so for me, that's a huge part of it. You know, it, it, it's uh, and I don't. It's, it feels like a bit of a love letter to De- Declan Hannon, but it, it it was for me. Like he was exceptionally likable. In terms of the guys you respect and why you respect them, Declan is right up the top for me. Um, he went through his own tough journey with Limerick. He he had his real rough day in 2013, the All-Ireland semi-final against Clare as a really young guy, missing freeze, playing centre forward. Uh, and that was a really tough experience that for him personally. 
and, and that he, he's a guy that doesn't wear his emotions on his sleeve really uh, so you, you want to be close to know it so for me you know the, the respect was there because we knew what he'd gone through the person he was the ability that he had and when he moved, made that move from the forwards to the backs you know there's a lot of people kind of wondering at the time as to is that a good move uh, because he was what I would have said one of our you know one of our most talented forwards um, to me at that stage it was probably still a lot of it was potential he really hadn't tapped the depths of, of, of what he could do uh, in the forwards um, but as, as soon as he went back to six he was really comfortable in his own skin uh, and had an influence on the game that was kind of even more his style and it was more enabling the guys around him and, and, and elevating the guys around him as opposed to putting himself on the pedestal so like to me it fit in a lot of ways Seamus, like because of the, all those leadership uh, qualities and skills that Declan Hannon possesses that you mentioned there, uh, and I know it seems strange to maybe put a positive spin on an injury like this, which is such a significant game, um, but it, it can almost inspire a team, can't it? When you, when you lose your, your, your leader, your on-pitch veteran, I guess, it can, it can nearly bring the rest of the team to, to, a, to another level for a semi-final, can't it? Yeah, win one for the Gipper kind of thing, yeah. Kind but of. Like, it, it, it's, it can um, but like I, it, I suppose, have I? We had any kind of success? well, like, so Keen Lynch last year, right? Mm. So Keen Lynch last year was very present in the dressing room, uh, whole year out, uh, more or less, more or the whole championship year um, out with that, you know, really, really bad ankle injury. Uh, and to be fair, that that I would say there is an there is an example of a player being out and yeah, rallying around that guy. Let's do it for Keen, and then on the Hogan the Hogan stand. Lifting the the Lee McCarthy last year, as co- as vice captain, lifted it with Declan, and that was a really, really was a it was a lovely moment. But even talking to the guys in in the, in the dressing room, it meant a lot to them that Keen was up there. So yes, I accept that. Uh, and in those in those moments, you can turn a negative into a positive. I uh, it's it's kind of different when it happens, you know, mid year. Um, you know, I would say, especially in the lead up to a game, mm. I, 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 I'm not, I'm not a negative person by, by most senses. But for me, the, the loss of Declan isn't good. Um, if I'm a player in the dressing room, if I flip over, like so, I'm on the outside looking in, and to me, this is, this is, this is not a good thing. If I'm on the inside, this is just a thing that you're trained psychologically to up oh, next man up, uh, next one, next person in. And reality, that's how it works, right? So that you're, you, you make adjustments. Uh, in training games, you have different people playing six anyway because you can't have two Declan Hannons playing A and B. So you, you know there's there's different there's different roles and different uh, scenarios in which you you play out on the field as a player. So there will be a next bad up mentality. There will be, you know, we'll get on with this, and and there will be an element of our captains down, you know, and, and, and let's get to the next stage for him. But um, you know, f- f- players compartmentalize all these things, and I know you've talked to a lot of them that it's very hard to get a. A real, a, a real kind of a beat on what on what actually you you feel about the situation because you're 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 trained to to blinker yourself and to and to not react. So you're to me, it, it's it's a negative from the outside. From the inside, yeah, I I, I know that I'm just going to get out. His record as captain is now all time great in terms of uh, captaining teams to win Munster championships, particularly after the five in a row. He's literally in a bracket of some of the best hurlers ever to have played the game. So there's obviously going to be some uh, some knock on in terms of what happens next. But can can I just ask you one last thing before we move on to the the game? The transition from uh, free taking forward to uh, a 
a pivot six. Was that an obvious thing? Had he had he done this at underage level? Like was it or was it something that um was spotted and is again maybe an understated part of this whole thing? You you said it was one of the three main components. I'm like, okay, well that that's like uh, is are Canark and Kylie the other two? You know, that's that's the level we're we're operating at here. Yeah, so like yeah, the other like the other two for me are are, are your your backroom team and continuity off. So like yes, the quality of your 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 coach or manager, and then let's say let's let's add in all the other terrific people that are in that backroom team, the likes of Caroline, the likes of Shawnee, the likes of you know all the amazing like even Brian Geary and Dodge receptors over the three years. So so yeah, but to me it's huge uh, because your presence at six uh, and and hadn't played six. Uh, and I'll get, I'll touch on then as to why it, he had done it before. So he had played with Arsenal Reach six. He had played underage Limerick six. So he had done this uh, and played very well. And there was this kind of debate as to Limerick need scoring forwards at the time versus you know, but he's really good six, but we need scoring forwards. You know, it was it was kind of the same Kyle Hayes debate when Kyle came in was uh, he's actually really good in the forwards, but he's a better seven. You know how you know? Do we play? Do we play players where they're best, or, or do we play them where the team needs them to play? And, and you know, in essence, I get that because that was kind of most of my career was playing where the team needs you to play, rather than where you're best at. And you just so that there's there's a kind of a there's a trade off there, and there's always a debate. But uh, I played six, and you really need somebody who's a super communicator because. Your six has to stay at a sit, and Declan, you'll always see Declan. He never pulled out of position. It's super rare any time he's ever pulled out of position because uh, you know he's, his positional awareness is, is exceptional. If you're going to do that and your centre forward is going to sit off you, well, then you have to be a really, really good communicator and trust your midfield, particularly, and your half forwards. And you know, again, how critical the Limerick half forwards are to the whole success of the of the operation, right? They all have to take the responsibility of a floating eleven. Sometimes that was that was Tony Kelly. Sometimes, uh, you know, even in, in in recent times, you know, you you know McGrath playing that for Tipperary this year. So you have to have exceptional communication skills, trust, um, and then obviously the positional awareness. So, you know, things things that I I would have found, you know, it's it, they're not givens. Uh, you can be good at one or or, or or you know maybe maybe not all. But for me, he was just one of those really, really calm, collected, uh, and you know, good decision-making sixes. You know, to me, he was a Shawnee McMahon. You know, and you know, I can't speak highly of anybody, more highly of anybody than to compare him to, to Shawnee Mac, because I thought he was, he was, he was the the greatest six I ever saw. So, you know, to me, you know, when he was when he was playing underage, he he, he flashed that. Uh, he you know, but Arsenal Rich, he was he played six and he was he was really really good. Um, you know, on successful teams too. So he wasn't just playing six on teams that you know that that, that weren't doing great. Uh, so for me, it was there, and it was always the trade-off of you know we need we need forwards in Limerick, we need scoring forwards, we need big physical presences in uh, at eleven or whatever you know played ten, twelve as well. Uh, do we play him? Do we play him up there, or uh, do we put him back six? And I suppose you know we had we had a couple of different sixes before he went back. You see we. We'd Wayne McNamara, we'd Gavin Lomani, you know, we'd, we'd a couple of different guys play that and play it well, I would have thought. Uh, but he has played it, he has played it great. Is there any possibility that they have a, a like, a Grout Haggerty style 
inspiration or is the obvious one the one that you started with here where it's Morrissey and it's a, as, as uh, obvious a replacement that they don't overthink this at all? So, so it, it's part of the Dan Morrissey story for me, right? So Dan Morrissey is, is such a, he's such a wild card. Um, like to me, he grew into the team and started to play exceptionally well at five. Uh, and everybody was like, his time has come. This is great. He's finally found his niche and the, you know, all the hard work that he's done. And again, you know, talking about a hugely respected guy inside the dressing room, like incredibly uh, well got, um, you know, so he found his niche at five. And then my, my Casey does his knee and you're looking for, you know, you're, you're, you know, and my Casey then was our, our, our established three. Um, and then he does his knee and we're like, okay, we need something. And, the option was there to play Sean Finn there or play Richie English there. Um, but said, you know what, we're, we're going to play Dan there. Uh, and J- so JJ Delaney to me was, you know, again, a, a phenomenal impact player for Kilkenny when he went from seven to three. Uh, and, uh, and to me, it was bizarre. It was a bizarre move at the time. And I, and I, uh, and I, again, speaking from experience, I did that. I went from seven to three in 2017. I played seven and I, and I went back to playing three and I played three earlier in my career it's not easy and I was never good at three uh, at all um, so I know how, how how hard that is and Dan did it and played three then as an all-star fullback so you know that that's what that's what leads me to think that you know and, and in the league as well Dan has played six uh, in, in Declan's absence so you know it's really about the capability of Dan Morrissey as well to, to just play the role play it really well without fanfare or flair or, 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 or a lot of things that are showy, but exceptionally effective. Uh, and I would see him to do that. And then you have the natural three to sit in there in Mike Casey. So it, it's, I don't think it requires a huge amount of overthinking. Garrod did play seven in the All-Ireland Under-21s team that was, of 2016. He did play seven uh, and played it well. So... Yeah, you know, it's it's you know th- that would be a wild card. That's not on brand for 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 John Kiley and, and the management team. Uh, so for me, it's it's Dan Morrissey with a huge amount of trust, uh, and then obviously Mike to three. But you know, yeah, it, it, stranger things can happen. Seamus, why are you sitting on this uh, Galway Tipperary match this weekend? Because you look at the two teams and, and two very uh, dissimilar positions heading into the game. I guess Tipperary with that. Uh, quite extraordinary, seven thirty-eight put up against Offaly last weekend, and then Galway still presumably reeling from from the nature and and, and way in which they lost that Leinster final to Kilkenny. Um, so, so I guess two teams coming into it with with two very different mindsets. Yeah, yeah. So is that seven thirty-eight now? Um, it has to be qualified. So I was there. I was in Tullamore um, for for it on Saturday. Um, you know, Offaly Offaly played a different competition this year. And are a team that are making strides and making progress in a lot of ways, but they were literally like it was like two teams from uh, from completely different uh, uh, stratospheres of, of, of hurling. Like so, yeah. They, they, what they what, what what Tip got from that game and what we'll carry through to the Galway game is the fitness of Ford, the fitness of Morris, um, even the likes of uh, Craig Morgan played well. When he played his first game in, in in you know eight months, really really quick turnaround from the knee injury he had. Now, unfortunately, he he hobbled off the field in the second half. But I'm hoping that was only a small thing. But like even to see him back for the group of players, you know, 
and the last games he played was was the game in which Dylan Cork passed away. So like talking about uh, a return to the field being emotional and 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 trying. So you know a lot of positives in in the in the health front for Tipperary to come out of that game because with the hurling it's, it's kind of hard to, to read a whole pile into that. It, it's not going to prepare you for for Galway, but yeah, the other side then Galway, it's a sucker punch and it's it was it was crazy to see it. Um, uh, but like you know, it, it, it's 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 kind of it's it's tough to read this Galway team at the moment for me. Uh, like the the, the Dublin game, th- that was that was always plausible for me because I saw D- Dublin come coming really strong. Dublin were kind of gathering momentum and playing well, uh, and some of their key players, and uh, particularly you know Sutcliffe is a super year, uh, and Birkin set forward is absolutely superb, and so that was always possible. And, and Galway were were really poor for for 40 minutes of that game uh so it's uh it, it, i was wondering whether you know this Galway team is it, it, are we making progress here um uh, under Sheffield uh, so year 1 was really really good put a really really good fight up against uh against Limerick in the in the Ireland semi final but this year uh, i'm not sold on the i'm not sold on on, on the Burke McInerney switch um and you know what how how, how, how vulnerable they are at, at the back, and the goals they've conceded have been have been shocking at times in, in terms of complete absence of, of of presence in the middle. So, you know, I, I'm just wondering are they making are they making the progress they need to make? Um, because their players are super, like their their squad of players are really really excellent. Um, you know, accomplished in many ways. Young guys coming in, Nyland has been superb all year um, on a college level and an intercounty level. So, yeah, uh, you know they're coming from from different team, t- different different angles. But you know, for me, the this Galway Tip game is uh, you know it, it is a bit of a toss up because I still think Tipperary have demons uh, that they have to banish, and until they banish them and until they prove it out, uh, they're they're there. So um, it, it's it's not a, it's not an easy one to script. Who would Limerick prefer to play? I, I, that's right in Dublin off. So I don't mean to, but if assuming Dublin don't beat Clare. Then uh, they'll, they'll play the winners of this game. Who would they prefer? Uh, good question. Uh, yeah, if if I'm if I'm talking about playing styles, uh, I think Limerick play Tipperary really well. I, I think I think Limerick normally do well against Tipperary in the round robin. They still weren't at their they, they weren't at the the, the the pitch of it really. Um, uh, you know, I I, I I thought that they could have. They could have kicked on more in the second half than they did, and they, they didn't really hit the top gear. Uh, and then it was still Tipperary that came back to draw it. But I I think that you know Limerick have played Tipperary really well the last four or five years. I know that Cattle has them playing a bit more aggressive up front, and uh, it, they're, I suppose what I did take from Saturday against Offaly was the appetite of the forwards and really the impact of Jake Morris. Jake Morris has been like so in, talk, in, talk, in terms of his scoring, that's fine. But his his intent and Marco as well, the intent to turn over defenders, that has that has changed under Cahill, and that will make it a bit more difficult for Limerick. But I'm just saying, I was saying the last four or five years Limerick have played tip quite well, uh, and you know the, the, the league semi final and even the round robin suggest that that can that still is the case. Okay, um, I don't mean to write Dublin off. I actually do think that there's a good chance that they could uh, cause Clare problems because there's a potential for. A clear hangover from the Munster final last year. They yeah, look, they struggled against yeah. Wexford. So 
Clare, I think Clare are in a different place than they were last year. Dublin Dublin got a much better test off Carlo than Tipperary got off Offaly. Okay, so we must I have to call this out, right? So so Carlo are even or are a good bit further along in, in, in where they are uh, compared to Offaly. And especially, you know, the Joe McDonough champions on on fully on merit, right? Uh and to me, the, they gave Dublin a far better test uh than Offaly did. Uh but Dublin are, are coming, right? So the, the a Nolan Park against Kilkenny, Dublin were playing really threatening hurling um, with a really strong performance from the half forward line. Midfield was doing a lot of, 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 of physical dirty work around the middle of the field that, you know, you know, Chris O'Leary has been very, very good for the midfield, the, the, the former Cork senior hurler. So like to me, Dublin, Dublin have, have looked far better under Michal Donoghue this year than they have in the last three, four years uh, for me. Uh, I think they have made progress uh, and they will challenge Clare. Uh, there, there's no maybe. The, my, my worry about Dublin is whether they can sustain it, and they haven't sustained it. They couldn't sustain it, Nolan Park against Kilkenny, when they were the better team for good stretches of that game. Uh, they couldn't sustain it against Galway uh, when they were the best, the far better team for for the you know at least at least forty minutes of the game. Uh, and, and Galway, Galway were going to get their purple patch, but it turned into a purple half, uh, and they really did. They were lucky to get the the, 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 the score at the end. Um, uh, but to me, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think I still think Clare in a different space mentally. Clare lost the Munster final with what I would say like with something left in the tank. Okay. Twelve right. wides, the wides really, especially at, at crucial times, they hadn't done that. Uh, in in previous games, they hadn't done it against Cork. They hadn't done it against against Limerick. So uh, to me, they actually lost the Munster final with something left in the tank last year. I felt like they spent themselves, and they spent themselves uh, in extra time. They, they, emotionally, physically, I thought they were empty after the Munster final last year, and, and it showed against Wexford, uh, and it showed in in the ultimately uh, against uh, Kilkenny. So. Uh, I think they're in a different place. I think Brian Owen has has really got them tuned a, a bit different this year. All right, we'll leave it there. Shame it's great stuff. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Do you mind if I say give a yeah. shout out to Neil yeah. McManus? Oh yeah, totally. Neil we should mention it. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. No, no. Do you mind if I do? Just just as a peer, right? Um, you're talking about guys who have had impacts uh, on their counties, right? So Neil McManus's impact on Antrim is disproportionate. He goes down as one of the greatest Antrim hurlers of, of, of all time for me. And as a peer, as someone who had to mark him, someone who, who got to hang around with him uh, in, in, a, uh, in an off-the-field context, I couldn't respect a guy more in the game of hurling. And I think it is right that, that uh, he gets his day. And uh, yes, slightly off-Broadway, but yeah, a, a greater ambassador and servant to the game of hurling, you're, you're not going to find. Yeah, I really hope that he's got a future uh involved off the field for Antrim Hurling as somebody who has soldiered through and is beginning to see what he sees as a return to where Antrim should be at the top level of hurling and like you know you'd hope that the Antrim County Board are looking at some way to keep him involved at, at whatever level he's able to commit to Yeah I'd say whether the Antrim County Board wants him involved he's going to be involved he's that guy uh-huh. he loves he loves it he loves Antrim he loves he loves hurling uh, I, I, there's no way he's not so but uh, yeah, I'd wish him the very, very best in everything he does. One hundred percent, Seamus. Good shout at the end there. Thanks a million. Cheers. See you, man. Seamus Hickey uh, with uh, the uh, required shout at the end. A good call. It is eight forty. It is time for this week's episode. 
Some of these critics, these pundits. Generally speaking, I'd be a fan of off the ball. Exactly. And like Tommy knows his football, obviously, listening to football pod the odd time. And when I was looking at the power rankings and I thought that Jesus almost still be feeling the effects of these mushrooms. But they just dismiss you like, you, you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. Let's get down to business. Tommy Rooney, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, Jer. Hi, Shane. Morning, Tommy. How are the butterflies? All good. Oh yeah. Good, okay. All right. Let's see. We're you know we're we're in a we're in a good place, aren't we? Are we? Horse into it there, horse. Right. No changes to slide four. But there's a lot of changes after that, lads. Let's get to slide three. Fermana has slipped back to twenty fourth place despite promotion to division two. Limerick are in twenty third. Leash have moved up two to twenty two. Fair play to them, a great win last week. Offaly have moved down to twenty first. Sligo have moved back 1-20th. Uh, they're the lowest team in the All-Ireland series. Antrim have moved up 2-19. to 19. Cavan. There's been an awful lot of complaints from Cavan people all year long. They've slipped back to 18th. Possibly where they deserve to be after the year that they've had. Mead are in 17th. They're up 1. And down. Italian Cup favourites are in 16th. On slide 2. So if we want to move on to slide 2 now, there's a bit of controversy here. Shane... I didn't know you were going to be on. The power rankings were supposed to be on Tuesday. Well, I'm on. Keep talking. On, on to slide two. Clare are in the lowest spot they've been all year. They're down to 15th place. They've gone back three. A double whammy losing Colin Collins this week. They've also been in the division. Oh. I, I do think that they're probably a better team than Loud, but Loud have had a better year this year. Loud were in the 14th place. Westmead have moved up to 13th. Now, there could be complaints over this, given that Loud came back in the Leinster Championship. But I think Westmead showed in the All-Ireland Series that they are the poster boys of the of the, the new format, winning the Tatchen Cup last year, being competitive this year. There was a great stat there. While they had 15 men on the pitch during the All-Ireland Round Robin Series, their score difference was minus one against Armagh, Galway and Tyrone. So that just shows you... Drogoy always obviously blew him away by seven points in the the last 15 minutes but Westmead were so close to just proving the benefit of this entire system yeah. at the weekend and if they'd knocked Tyrone out it would have been one of the all time great shocks of the weekend and yet it wouldn't have been a shock at all in in the manner of which their performances and I, I think they deserve massive credits for what they've done I, I think that Louth are lucky to be 14th given that they actually had the opposite experience really in this portion of the competition they didn't seem to get to grips with it at all yeah I think that's fair Ger. absolutely I think but look at it I think uh, yeah I suppose you got to look at the development of different teams like Loud have kind of come from for me Loud's development has been like so fast Westmead have had Westmead have kind of had this coming for a while I think they've they kind of had some big results over the last couple of years Loud were essentially nowhere until Hart and Devlin got the grips of them um, and their progress has been exceptional. They had an absolutely unbelievable league, and they, they're probably they're probably lucky in Leinster to to beat both Westmead and Offaly, um, and get to that Leinster final where they suffered a tank in the Dublin, which can happen to the best of teams, and they suffered a tank into Kerry, which can happen to plenty of teams in this tier as well. So, um, yeah, Loud will be disappointed, but like they obviously came very close to getting a result against Mayo. There were two points off Cork. It wasn't a it wasn't a disaster. Okay, like that that, that those tankings can happen to a carrier at Dublin, but I I would classify them in a similar enough area to Westmead, twelfth position Kildare. What a win at the weekend! Like what a performance! 
even listening to Ben McCormick and Kevin Feely after the game, the way they spoke about it, how they wanted to prove that they were good enough to play for that jersey. They wanted to prove to the outside noise that this team had something. And we've said it, like, it's on paper, Kildare have had this, that we've expected it. They just haven't shown it. And, like... I felt like Enda Smith's point at the end to level it. Enda like Smith. That was, that was one of the all-time great scores that you're ever yeah. going to see. It was incredible. Well, how did he even do it, was, it from there? Or even think to do it, it from there? It was class. It was like the ultimate, the ultimate clutch score. It was like a Conor McManus moment. And next thing, Daniel Flynn and Kevin Feely lock eyes and they score what the mark should be. A set-piece move, like something out of Belichick's playbook. 45 to the 20. Feely grabs it on his bloody weaker side and he puts that over the bar I thought it was a remarkable thing at the weekend lads that in this new format we had four players in the final play of the game who had their county's fate in their hands they had Aidan O'Shea Shane Walsh John Heslin and Kevin Feely yeah and the bone that I picked with with your colleagues on the football pod I hate to say I told you so I could hear them slowly Reversing, Paddy's still yeah. not accepting that. Ah, look, just because we've had one good, amazing, we've had like the literally the greatest day of Gaelic football that there's ever been in Championship. It was the greatest day of Gaelic football in Championship history. There's never been as much on the line. There's never been as many games on all around the country. There's never been as many people invested in the outcomes of them. And it's like it's not by accident. It's not by accident. Yeah, that's why that's why the system is the way it is. It's like oh, too many games. The, the, there haven't been too many games there's only been three games all the crap that happened beforehand all those provincial games okay Shane yeah, I understand the, the little, little local fair in Ulster that they write poetry about and sing songs about fair enough yeah Paddy Cavanagh good man but actually the, the, it's been a brilliant brilliant championship it was all all the shadow boxing wasn't shadow boxing it was teams trying to find out whether or not they were good enough to continue and it turns out Mayo weren't shadow boxing they just weren't very good so far I don't know I think amazing. Literally the best day of Gaelic football that we've ever had. We're in the same boat, Jer, a hundred percent. And um look at Paddy and James are obviously from uh, a pair of counties that have shared nearly eighty odd Ireland's between them, you know. Exactly. They may take a little bit longer to convince than the others. We'll get there. And <laughs> who who ended up being like like oh my god, Galway and Mayo have literally just messed this entire thing up. They were in pole position. Even Roscommon were in first place. The three Connacht teams were in first place in the groups. And now, look at what they've got ahead of them this week. So, um, yeah, so let, let's just keep going here. I'm just going to say, you're saying yeah. they're the worst team left in the championship. I'm just not sure I fully agree with that. But, uh, you know, we, we like to be uh, written what, off. What has what proved the Tommy wrong in previous games, apart from the weekend game? Well, when it, when it really mattered, they dug it out against a team who were massively ahead of them in the power rankings. Sure, look, I think... I was delighted for them. We'll see, we'll see how we get on against Monaghan at the weekend. Shane is, is making it sound like we'll barely keep the ball kicked out to them. Yeah, well, Calera obviously at home in uh, Tullamore. So uh, Monaghan possibly lucky that it's not in Newbridge. Mm. Um, look, at Monaghan are the type of team that... Like, they're in 11 place, Shane. I know you're not going to be overly happy with that, but... They've Tommy, grown with Derry. They were, that was huge. Yes. Right? They learned from their mistakes. They they stayed up in the league 100%. That was great. Finney Corey has had a really, really good year. I do think they're limited, though. In what sense? I think they're limited, Shane. Like, I think we're seeing now, like, Conor McManus's powers are waning. Um, I hope he comes on at the weekend and kicks the winner. 
No, you don't. Like, that'd be great. That'd no. be class. No. No, no, but it would, like, do you know? For him, yeah, like, it'd be great, we, get another, no. we get another clutch moment once more next weekend. We're just I, I hope Kevin Feely blocks him down as he's trying to kick the winner. That's what I hope. <laughs> well, that's totally fair. Like, Monaghan, I think, that we've seen that there's a new... There's younger players coming through. There's a new generation. I do think that's where they're at, Shane. If you can convince me otherwise... Good luck to you. Well, people said that that Monaghan were limited in, in the sense that Conor McManus, once he retired, they had no they had no players coming through. They had no shooters, and they've proved who's it wrong. replacing Manzi. Well, like who's replacing? Look, look at the spread of Monaghan scores and games they've had. Like they put up one twenty three against Clare. Conor McManus when he came off the bench very late on, drew with mm. Derry up in Derry. McManus came on for the last maybe ninety seconds. Um, they're kicking scores from everywhere. McCarn's kicking his nine points. McCarthy's kicking you know one two against Clare from wing back. Uh, Michal Bannigan's popping over scores this year Stevie O'Hanlon Gary Mohan a couple of lovely scores albeit in defeat at the weekend against Donegal like, they have young players and by the way the Monaghan crowd are going to travel as they usually do in numbers to, to Tullamore they've got a minor game in an All-Ireland semi-final as part of the double header at the uh, weekend yeah. against very Kerry which I didn't knock them out but anyway yeah. let's, let's move on so Cork are 10th Donegal are 9th yeah look it's, it's Irish shame but I just felt with the seismic results of the weekend, they've been a ninth, there needs sorry, to be a bit of had, movement. They've had great results over the last year or two, and they've been a ninth. I feel like I was doing the leave insert, and Monaghan were still in, in ninth, Tommy, in these power Yeah, but, but, but who, And all of a sudden, they lose one game, and they're, they drop down two places. But, well, but who um, was ahead of them, Shane? Who was ahead of them? You had Tyrone ahead of them, who won an All-Ireland less than 24 months ago. You had Armagh ahead of them, who got to an All-Ireland quarter-final last year. Tyrone team they beat this year, by the way. Tyrone they beat this year, by the way, in Ulster. Yeah, but Tyrone have a higher ceiling, Shane. They have a higher ceiling. Let's get on to the first page. Come on. It's the okay, can we just can we just mention Corker and Tentlack? Yeah, that's that's a big deal for a county the size of Cork to finally be in the top ten. I don't know if Owen Sheehan ever had them in the top ten after all the the Kerry yearning about Cork over the last couple of years. So I just think this is a monumental moment in the history of the power rankings, the official Gaelic football power rankings on OTBAM. Donegal are in ninth place. Credit has to go to Aidan O'Rourke. Um, he's really steady to ship there and think, those players turned it around I think Aidan O'Rourke is in the shout for manager of the year at the moment <laughs> for, for, what he's, for what he's done to get them to, yeah. f- to finish where they finished mm. is is absolutely truly remarkable yeah. and I think there's this thing in the tail for Donegal just yet but let's keep going yeah Donegal are playing 8th uh, place so ninth against 8th is 12th against 11th ninth against 8th in the, the preliminary quarterfinals, they're going to be absolutely box office. Bally Buffet, Donegal Tyrone, McBurty is on his way back, Gallon is in great form. Um, like Donegal are doing this, like after losing Murphy, McHugh, Langan's out, they're missing so many players. Brendan McCall had an exceptional game at the weekend, shut down McCarran. Thompson's we saw Derek Hannavan's, well. Thompson's left foot, Derek Hannavan's performance at the weekend, lads, like, oh my God, left foot, right foot. This guy, oh, he's, he's going to be so good and we're starting to see it. Um, and it was interesting at the weekend I felt like managers took a chance I don't think they realised just how dangerous losing could be you know Enda Smith said afterwards look we're still true but like if Roscommon were in the hide if Monaghan were in Clonus you'd feel a lot better about them going into the weekend there's such fine margins in these games Tyrone obviously took the decision that well they must have I'm, I'm kind of going out on a limb here Darren McCurry needed to be protected there must be a little niggle or a nick um, Damien Comer and Dylan McHugh that was a late call by Galway to let to essentially protect them and now their entire team is going into week on week whereas the quarter finalists have a two week break if they win that game they have a two week break and if they win that game they have a two week break to the final Paddy Andrews said they have their rhythm over the next couple of weeks so it's very very difficult it's going to be so difficult for a preliminary round team to get there and go all the way Toronto are in eighth place they've slipped back they're absolutely blessed if you go back anyone at the end with that clutch free 
John Heslin, even a, no matter how tough it was, you back Heslin, a fellow who's done it all all the time for St. Lomans and Westmead and was so close to knocking Tyrone out. That would have been just such drama. Roscommon has slipped back to seventh. I hope we're not seeing the old failings that we've seen in Roscommon over the last couple of years where they give us a monumental performance in Connacht and they go out with a limp in the All-Ireland series. I don't think... I don't think it will be. I think that they're going to put in a performance against Cork, but that is a dangerous game, 7th against 10th. Um, that is a dangerous game for us coming in Parky Cueve. Armagh moved up to 6th place. I've got a lot of grief for apparently having an Armagh bias over the last couple of years. Anti-Armagh or pro-Armagh? <laughs> Pro-Armagh. Now, did they not... Um, I, I must have missed the bit where... So, at the weekend, they won without Rian O'Neill, right? Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, they appealed to suspension. It got... Uh, turned down and I think they didn't decide to proceed to the DRA right because um, I, I, possibly the, the suspension could have been extended or something you could double it if you lose that so okay. maybe I'm wrong with that but they didn't bother they just said look we'll, we'll take our medicine and we'll go on which is probably fair because you know I'm, I'm kind of sick of teams you know getting deserved red cards and getting away with it after it like so can, so, I, can I just make a point? You're going to take, take your medicine. McGinney afterwards, when he was talking about uh, turning off the telly because it's nothing but whining and moaning. And I actually feel like people haven't said that last weekend was the greatest Gaelic football weekend in history because they're so wedded to the position that the game has gone shit, the the system is, is too bloated and boring, that they couldn't actually bring themselves to enjoy what they were seeing because it would have made them look a little bit foolish for the early decisions that they made. Am I wrong about it being literally the greatest weekend of Gaelic football that we've ever had? It's up there, Jer. Uh, I don't think. I think you're right that we haven't appreciated it yet. And I think there there is something in that that you're saying people possibly didn't want to. I couldn't help it. Like I, I I'm sorry, I can't enjoy this because I told everybody this was terrible, and now I'm really enjoying yeah. it. But I can't say it because I look stupid. But look, it it doesn't get away from the fact that there is issues in the game and there are huge frustrating anomalies in the bloody rule book you saw it with David Goffinshawn on the Sean Powder call he got that right and next thing Noel Mooney gives Kevin Maguire a yellow card for stone cold bloody Steve Austin move on on, on Conkel Patrick taking him out with a clothesline across the neck Yeah, and like I couldn't get my head around it that still I don't know the bloody rules. I, like, I'm, I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect. But even, even the hurling folk appreciate that. Like, the, <laughs> the, the, the ball gets thrown around a lot. There's diving and hurling. There's yeah. loads of issues. But if, if imagine what the hurling folk would have been saying after last weekend if that had been a hurling weekend where the, the big four games where oh. there was stuff up had, had come down to the last play. It would be a national holiday. It would, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but the football folk, they hate the game so much. And they just want to be right more than anybody else. They're like, oh, I really enjoyed this, but I can't. I'm stuck. I can't say it. Oh. Well, I think it's possibly because the, there's a lot more general football fans. Do you know what I mean? It's not like the Irish soccer team. There's so many fans that it's easy to just hear all the noise. Whereas at hurling people, they're so they're such a protected species that you know they can appreciate it a bit more. Their, their adoration for the game shines through a bit more than maybe the general football people. And look, at it, it's, it's totally fair to actually be frustrated with the game because yeah. there are issues. I'm not saying there, there are issues, but like at the same time, when the good stuff happens, you have to enjoy it because otherwise there's no point. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was a couple of good pieces written at the weekend that we shouldn't rush to... to... It's too late! 
rush to shut down this championship before it happens. I think it's going to be like the full we, three years. I think you were, you were making that point that um, they're not yeah. going to... Like, why would you change it now? Let's just have the Absolutely. three years of evidence. It's also There's the amount of games as well. Like, seeing the provincial grounds, you know, when you look at the highlights of the weekend and you're seeing matches in Carrick and Shannon and in Breffney Park and in Tullamore, the whole country it's got its fill at the weekend, like... Yeah, and sorry, the, yeah. the one thing about our man Galway, they were complaining about the game being in Carrick and Shannon. Like, in fairness, it wasn't full, do you know? No. So No, no, it wasn't full. And, like, I'd say at the weekend, we mentioned Clonus for Monaghan and the Hyde for Common. I'd say the shop owners and the publicans of Killarney were absolutely sickened that Cork pulled off that result. Jack O'Connor and the players will be delighted they're straight through the quarterfinal, but they'd have loved to have another game in Killarney at the weekend. So, okay, let's keep going because uh, Derry are the only team in the first three slides that haven't moved. They're in fifth. Some people might say that's harsh. Probably is harsh looking at how Mayo played at the weekend. I feel like Mayo possibly thought we'll get, we'll just get through it. We'll just, we'll get there and we'll be in, we'll be in such an amazing, incredible position. I'm not saying they underestimated Cork, but I just think they expected to get through that game. And it would have been fair enough given how they absolutely rattled the entire All-Ireland series with that defeat of Kerry. I I made the point last week that if they'd beaten Loud 14-9, we wouldn't really be worried about them. But... And we wouldn't, we wouldn't, and the scoring difference wouldn't have been fine. Just the game management was just... Ah! It was a killer, right? And it's young enough, my old team, right? It, there is... Let's bring the youth throughout the team, but there was just a couple of decisions made. Like, Stephen Cohen going off, I think, was was a, was a bit of an issue. Like, the, Kenny O'Connor... They're, they're, we, we mentioned the Curry call, the, the Comer and McHugh calls, and some of these possibly can't be, you know, um, can't be helped. But, like, would you have rather had Killian O'Connor on the pitch for five minutes at the end of that game... Than giving them 60 minutes in a club game the night beforehand. Maybe that's going to come back and it's going to do Mayo the world of good and Keenan O'Connor's going to be flying and he's going to come on at the weekend and kick the winner in Salt Hill against Galway. Mayo's record in Salt Hill is really good. Right. I think Galway would have preferred to have this game in McHale Park. Mayo's record in Salt Hill is really good. Um, and yeah, like just it's just mind-boggling how the number one team in the power rankings, Galway, let that one slide at the weekend too. Their game management laid on they're going to be kicking themselves. Now, part of me just feels that Goy have shown us enough evidence each year that they're good enough to still win all Ireland from where they're at. Well, we shall see. Um, I think, uh, just to go back to Kieran McGinney, I think he was talking about you, Tommy. I think he was talking about you. Oh, yeah? I think he was talking about the power rankings when he was but saying... me? I've never been more than complimentary about Armagh all year long. I don't think Geezer was going for me. Either. Well, you had Galway first and, and uh, Armagh eighth last week, I'm fairly sure, right? For, but sure, I made the point that uh, with all the sliding doors moments that have happened, uh, let me, where would let, Armagh uh, be? Well, I, um, his point was, oh, there was a world of difference between us and that we we uh, beat them in the league and they beat us after uh, on penalties and there was nothing between us and there was an ocean between us. I'd say it was you and that was it. Maybe, maybe Splan. Well, I don't know. Well, possibly. No, no, no. Do you know what? You could be onto something there. We know who they are, uh, he said. We do know Tommy Rooney. Yeah, it could be. But if I call up Geezer and Tommy. There were grumblings coming out of the county pretty quickly about the power rankings. And, you know, when I was down at Porky Cueve, a member of the, the Cork backroom team gave me a bit of grief for the power rankings. People in Galway and the Mayo backroom teams have heard of that grounds this year. You could be onto something, Jer. They are watching. Even are, it is important. Inspired our to beat Galway at the weekend. So Galway are third, Dublin are second, and Kerry are first. So it's Kerry one, Dublin two, Galway three, Mayo four, Derry five, Armagh six, Roscommon seven, down one, and Tyrone uh, down one as well. Galway, the biggest losers this week, down two from first 
Kerry up to one and Dublin are second. You're not making any change. You're accepting that the flat track bullies of Kerry are still ahead of Dublin, even though Dublin now have managed to get all of their players back fully fit in a way that they didn't have last year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kerry, Kerry have David Clifford in absolutely imperious form. Um, and they flat track bullied loud more than Dublin flat track bullied Sligo marginally. So look, if the Dubs just haven't shown me enough to to go into first, they'll be happy with that. Dublin, Dublin, Dublin are in a perfect position. Kerry are in such a good position. It's nearly depressing that they're in the quarterfinals. I just thought they were going to get a bit of interesting, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, an interesting kind of like you know something. If this is again as we said last week, like 2010, where we could possibly get an All Ireland winner from anywhere, and Dublin and Kerry go on and win it, it's going to be. A, for me, a little bit frustrating because there is an opportunity here for anyone in that top eight, I would say, to win the All-Ireland. I'm ruling out the other four All right, that are left. Pin it to the dressing room wall, Glenn Ryan. No chance, says Meath slash uh, Monaghan slash Claire's Tommy Rooney on the official power rankings. Tommy, See you good, lads. good stuff. Thanks, fellas. Bye-bye. Tommy knows his football obviously listening to football pod the odd time and I was looking at the power rankings and I thought that Jesus Owen must still be feeling the effects of these mushrooms so that is this week's episode of uh, the power rankings we'll have I guess another one a big one coming next week after uh, the uh, wildcard weekend as we're calling it here exclusively it's a minute past nine a reminder that OTBAM live with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave of your money back Neon Night Edition is available now John Duggan is with us for the first time this week John how are you? Jer and Shane Good morning. Yeah, the Power Rankings has become a great brand. I was speaking to Cora Staunton on the weekend on the show and I said, well, you know, we have this thing called the Power Rankings on OTB AM. And, oh, yeah, she goes, I know that. Yeah, Tommy Rooney. Yeah, yeah. So I was asking her to rank the um, the women's teams for the Ladies Football Championship. Very difficult to do. Kerry and Dublin was uh, nip and tuck. And, yeah, she uh, went for Kerry uh, as her top team. Because you win in Dublin, it's a big, big win for them. Tommy doesn't realise that uh, he's not the only one that gets dogs abuse for the power rankings. Like people will approach, I'm um, definitely myself, and I'm sure yourselves as well, uh, uh, nightside and all the rest, and say disgrace that you have. And I'm just like, nothing to do with me. I know he picks the power rankings. If it was you, would be Monaghan on top all the time. Well, no, I'm, I'd be fairly collective neutral. cabinet responsibility, Shane. That's well, how this maybe, works. That's like, the Omerta. It's Tommy that picks them, do you know. So please stop giving us grief. You can fight with them. You can you can defend your you can defend the honor of whoever whatever mistake he's making. Um, John, do you want to start with Rory? Do you want to start with Stephen Kenny? What do you want to uh, do? Well, what, did you go through the Kenny comments in the papers? We did. Uh, yeah. So, who's the audience for this? Uh, is it the FAI board? I think it's everybody, right? I actually, I think that's. Um, I think that it is a reminder to the people who wanted the Stephen Kenny thing to work, that there was a, a rationale behind it, that this wasn't just plucked from the back pocket of uh, John Delaney and now we're reaping the whirlwind the way that the Steve Staunton thing was. Um, it's the media, isn't it? I know the media were the direct audience, but I actually think they were the intended audience as well. Like, he wants the media message to be on point. Well, James uh, McLean said something along re- similar lines. I remember um, reading every single paper on Sunday and nobody was backing Stephen Kenny mm. in, in, the, in terms of the reports or analysis. But I do believe Stephen Kenny's got a fair press. He's very much got a fair press in the three years. Considering some of the results. And especially from this parish. He's got a fair press. Yeah. Uh, well, and uh, f- like the issue is he was tactically outsmarted by Gus Poyet. Mm. And that's not good. What was the training camp for? Uh, so 
there has to be a realisation of that. Uh, I have utter sympathy for him because I think he's got a bad blackjack hand in terms of the playing uh, talent that he has. Um, but with the teams around you or the teams weaker than you, you just have to get rid of that feeling that there's a clangor coming and a great performance against, say, the French away from home where we could maybe lose narrowly or draw could be followed by a defeat to the Dutch, which is... Uh, an inferior performance. That's the worry. That's the feeling that when are we going to get some consistency? And that's what could cost him his job. Yeah, I'd look, I think uh, that, and they're, they're the rules of international football, um, unfortunately. And you you just hope that the team can put two good performances together and that he gets the opportunity to see out the group, which I think would be uh, fair on him. Um, I, I don't really see the point of changing the manager for the final two games. Um, or the final three games. And we won't know with the playoffs passage. anyway until the very end. So we could, you, you could you change the manager and then we actually end up where we find out a bit like the mixing that we're in a playoff. So, so maybe he does deserve to see see it through. And I think the nature of the performances now for the rest of the campaign will determine his, his fate. Uh, but a bit like Tottenham, I always say the Tottenham, it doesn't matter who the Tottenham manager is anymore because of the, the way the board have been unable to make good footballing decisions. Um, it doesn't really matter in the macro analysis who the Irish manager is at the moment. Really? Uh, vis-a-vis the real issue in the game, which is that they don't, we don't have a football industry in the country. And that's a 15-year project with the FAI have obviously put to the government. It's very important to qualify for tournaments. Um, but what's more important, obviously you want both, but and, you, and you, you, the revenue that comes in from qualifying for international tournaments and the momentum that it gives um, the football nation, as it were, and the Irish nation. Um, but is it more important to have good infrastructures, good academy systems, good League of Ireland grants over the next 15 years and actually have a plan for that? Or is it about, well, is it going to be Stephen Kenny or Lee Carsley or Sam Allardyce or whoever? Yeah, no, I don't think they're binary. I, I think they're parallel work streams. I think that like in, in a well-run organisation, it seems like it's a much better run organisation than it has been previously, um, that you can have a, a bunch of people who are working on the football industry side of it and also you need the best and brightest minds working on the quality of football that the team is, is producing. And look, it's very difficult to defend that first half against Greece the second half was a slight improvement um, but we went through the players like and almost none of the players are playing at a higher level at club level now than when they started 18 months ago with the obvious exception of, of Evan Ferguson like um, Bazzini has had the opportunity to move and get first team football uh, in the Premier League and it hasn't gone particularly well for him and then you go from there the whole way through to the subs and I'd say Seamus Coleman had a really good season but obviously not available. Yeah, and we missed his leadership. Game. We missed his, I think we lacked that Definitely. leadership. The other night, uh, yeah. I suppose the question, this what the question to ask is, could any other manager do better with the group of players we have? And if you look at Scotland, are Scotland at the moment punching above the weight of the players they have at the moment? Yeah, I, I mean, at the same time, Scotland have players who are playing Champions League football who are at Manchester United and Liverpool and Aston Villa. Arsenal, and, yeah. And we don't have any of those. Yeah. You know, we, we have none of those, really. So the only question then, with, with the resources we have, uh, could, could another manager be doing a better job with those players? And if the answer is no then maybe we don't deserve to qualify because we just not in that ballpark. Like, it took us 58 years to qualify for a major tournament, to remember, between 1930 and 1988. 58 years. So maybe we're in another 58-year phase. I don't say that, John. They're making it easier, <laughs> They're making it easier to qualify, by the way, for these tournaments. Well, that's yeah, it. And, that, but like, and also, that's why the Nations League is really important. And uh, Stephen Kenny's ambition was to win that Nations League group. And it was a mixed muddling campaign where we finished behind Scotland. Uh, so... 
you know now with the Nations League rankings that it's, it's, it's as you say, hard not to qualify for the Euros because half the teams in uh, the f- qualify 24 out of 55. If we lose 3-0 to the French and 3-0 to the Dutch and the performance is only, ah, meh, like, is he gone then? Or do you still wait till the end of the qualification campaign? I think it's a big hypothetical. Like, if we lose 3-0 but we play brilliantly and there's a man sent off and they score two in, in injury time, do you know what I mean? Like, Context, yeah. I, I, the context is important, but... Um, I, I, the, it, He's talking about he believes in the potential for exceptional results. I think that's the, the other audience for this is definitely the players. Is that like he hasn't given up on them? They haven't given up on him, and so there's one last big charge in them in the next two games, and that's it. After that, if they're still standing after that and they have done something exceptional, well, that transforms the mood music. But it will require something of historic level in Irish football, and you would say that we don't have players who are capable of producing that at the moment because none of them are playing well or regularly for their clubs. The Don DC argument, now I know the, the interview was, was utterly hilarious and brilliant character, um, but I'm just wondering how many people have that kind of almost populist view of things, that, that we're backing this guy, doesn't no matter what we're backing him. I'd be interested to know how many people still retain that kind of that faith you know, in Stephen Kenny. Speaking of retaining faith... You've, you've put Rory McIlroy up as a headline tip yeah. on numerous occasions and yeah. this time you were totally, totally vindicated by the quality And Ricky as well put up Ricky too mm. Did Ricky fall out of the or did he still make no, it? No he made, made the yeah it was a profitable week right. um, in, a, in, a, in what's been a challenging year for the orange crop it's like trading places anybody who saw the movie um, yeah look I don't think he did anything wrong lads Rory um, he didn't bottle it he didn't choke uh, he just did, couldn't hold a put he had 34 putts on Sunday uh, he had four birdies over the weekend. Wyndham Clark, who beat him by a shot at eight. Wyndham Clark was second in strokes gained off the tee, and he was fourth in putting. And Rory McIlroy hit the ball so beautifully. We didn't get a situation where the shoulders slumped when there was a setback, and he would feel sorry for himself and make a stupid mistake and take a double bogey or have a raft of bogeys. He only had the one bogey when he misjudged the shot in the wind on 14. And it was just one shot shy, and I, I do feel that it's very close. And I do feel if he gets it, and I think he will get it, I think that'll be a second win for his career. And I think he'll win more than, than one major. I think he'll be win a few majors. So he just has to maintain the mindset. He's quite friendly with Tiger Woods now. I'd love to know if Tiger Woods or Jack Nicholas was watching that on Sunday, that telecast, and maybe spotted something that they could just help him with. Because it's almost like I felt that the puts weren't bad, but he just didn't have the speed right. No. Some of them were too tentative. Some of them were too fast. And it just... It was painful in a way. But Wyndham Clark went out and won it. He grabbed it. Yeah. And sometimes the um, his best major, finishing major, was tied 75th before that. But he just not knowing is the best thing. Without not knowing, yeah. Uh, the Ashes yesterday, yeah. incredible finish. Australia managed to steal it from England at the end. But it was like a horse race in the final furlong. England were way out in front, aggressive ride, and they got, they got caught by a better pace. Ben Stokes, uh, it's really exciting. They're trying to make Test cricket more exciting, and it's really, really exciting. They're, England are a very, very aggressive team, but almost the stage where on the first day they declared with two wickets left, and Joe Root was still in at the crease, and they could have had another 50 to 100 runs. And what that would have enabled them to do is not lose the game, and they ended up losing the game at the very de- death by two wickets to Australia, who um, batted really, really Resolutely, so England made mistakes in, in the Ashes, but it was brilliant, brilliant TV, and you don't have to like cricket even to enjoy the drama. Of it. 
All right, good stuff, Jamie. All right, lads, mind 11 minutes past nine this morning. Some highlights for you on the OTV Podcast Network today. Dr. Aoife Lane and Maria Kinsella will play a clip of that in a moment. Derry's Connor Glass talking about uh, texting James McLean on the uh, arrival of his 100th cap. And OTV Football Daily, all the football news you need every day brought to you by Phil. After the break, Tom English is going to talk to us about Brendan Rogers' Celtic return. I'm going to play a clip now from Maria Kinsella, who's co-chair of the GPA's National Executive Committee, and Dr. Aoife Lane, who's head of sport at TUS Athlone, alongside Joe Malloy last night, talking about our female hurlers and footballers who have decided not to play out the remainder of their championship season, except under protest. Maria, you outlined it um, pretty succinctly. This is going to happen. So in the short term, GEA, if you're serious about this, goodwill gesture, get together, finance the charter, and we'll worry about makeup of boards and yeah. protocol and the CCCC and all that fun stuff. Let's do that over the next five years. We're not hanging around for that, Mary McAleese yeah. and everybody well-intentioned as they are or no. And, and that was the mood, Maria. So uh, is that a fair assessment? That there's no patience for the complexity. I think we, we absolutely recognise the complexity that's involved, but equally, you know, a player's lifespan and playing career is very short. Yes. And of course, they're going to be selfish. And of course, we're going to want this tomorrow. But if I think to generational players like Vicky Wall, to think that she may never experience equality as a player in her playing career, that that, that scares me. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think there's a, I suppose an attitude that we as female intercounty players shouldn't deserve the basics and the minimums. And I think what happened yesterday was players putting their hands up and saying, enough's enough, something needs to change. You're listening to OTB AM. All right, 14 minutes past nine. Uh, Tom English is with us to talk Brendan Rogers. Tom, good morning. How are you? I'm all right, Ger. A bit sleepy. I was going to hand in last night. I was going to say slightly bleary-eyed. Uh, what time did the game finish? Finished around midnight. Uh, I had a bit of scribbling to do. Got in the house, back in the house about half past one. Very sensibly, I had a couple of beers when I came in, Ger. So uh, <laughs> that was very smart. So I couldn't get to sleep then. So I'm, I'm not fully with you. I'm with you in body, but maybe not in mind this morning. So I apologise. <laughs> we should just take a moment to reflect on the fact that Scotland are. Um, uh, on 12 points with four games played and they're definitely going to qualify even Scotland are going to screw this up from here it's an incredible turnaround isn't it? It is yeah when you think about just a year ago they got they got eviscerated at uh, at the Aviva um, and haven't looked back since then to be honest they turned it around completely everyone a lot of people were losing faith with Steve Clark after the 3-0 in Dublin but it's it's been remarkable since then you know uh, maximum points in the group. Um, they've only conceded one goal, which was a penalty for er- Erling Haaland. Um, they've scored, what was it, nine goals now? Uh, it's uh, And all the players look incredibly confident. You know, Clark has created a real kind of club atmosphere and, and, and it shows. You were writing, Tom, about uh, Scott McTominay's influence as well. Like, it, his turnaround has been quite something to watch and, and even your, your point the fact that the, the, uh, the Georgian players possibly were a little less uh, keen to come out of the tunnel and, and, and resume action yesterday and McTominay was certainly one of those players who was raring to go Yeah but the, the Georgians did not want to come out um, their president was kicking up stink in there um, and they, did, they were refusing to come out until they were told they'd forfeit the game if they didn't 
So, uh, and McTominay was, you know, he was standing, staring down the tunnel, almost saying, where the hell are you, you know? Uh, he was brilliant. Obviously, his time at Manchester United hasn't been great. He's been kind of a bit part player off the bench. Um, but with Scotland, he's been exceptional. He's got five five goals in this group so far, you know, for a midfielder. And he was all over the park. You know, he was making tackles in defence, obviously scored scored a goal. Uh, yeah, really, really good. Billy Gilmore came into the team for Ryan Christie last night. He hasn't been playing a huge amount for Brighton. He was man in a match. So they're, they're guys, they're maturing as, as a team, as individual as in a team. They're maturing. Their, their caps count is rising all the time. And they look to have a bit of nose about them. Are there any lessons for the Republic of Ireland from what Scotland are doing? I mean, it's remarkable to think that we tanked them in the Aviva just 12 months ago and the fortunes couldn't be more stark at the moment. He's Jared to know. That's a pretty profound question. Like Scotland waited a long time to get to this point, you know, a long, long time. Um, and just a batch of players have arrived at the same time. And Steve Clark, to be honest, he is unflappable. Uh, he took over a mess. Last night, the place was heaving. It's a sellout every time at Hamden now. Uh, when he took over, those crowds are 15, 20, 25,000. Nobody cared. Everyone had lost interest, lost faith in the national team. So Clark has, has dragged this thing up. Um, and you know, you have to give him massive, massive credit. Let's talk about Brendan Rodgers and Celtic then. Um, I, I, when... When Ange left and Brendan Rodgers was immediately linked on the back pages of the newspaper, I was like, ah, this is nonsense. There's no way it's going to happen. He's already said he's going to take a year out. Why would he go back? This doesn't make any sense. And then it just happened. I am very mm. surprised. I mean, it's football, so not that surprised. But at the same time, on the face of it, originally it didn't make sense. Now, obviously, it does make a lot of sense in some ways. But were you surprised? Yeah, I was initially I was surprised because I I didn't think his ego would allow him to come back to Scotland to win the trophies that he's already won. Um, but when the story stuck around for a while, I thought, okay, now there's clearly something happening here. Um, I think he's going to be do his press stuff. I think tomorrow, uh, so we'll find out more about what's what's brought him back. I can only imagine like he's not coming back to Scotland to win another league title or another treble. He's already done that. I don't think that that would float his boat in any way. Uh, I think he's coming back because I suspect he's been promised a bigger budget for Europe, which was the problem the last time. It was part of the reason why he left for Leicester, because he felt glass ceiling and all that. I'd imagine he's been promised a bigger budget for a, for a better tilt at Europe, because that's where he wants to be. He sees himself as a European manager. He sees himself as somebody who should be competing in the Champions League. And Dermot Desmond has has done the deal with him. Very few people thought he would. Very few people thought Desmond would come back. Very few people thought that Celtic would make a play for him. But they have, and it's done. Um, and I'd say with the fans, it's, it's kind of an uneasy truce. But if he wins trophies... All of that uh, unpleasantness, shall we call it, from before will have been will have will will disappear. That, that record of his in Europe, Tom, as well, uh, isn't great. So presumably, that's mm. something he wants to address. And that budget, as you say, can only help. Yeah, Shane, he's like his record. His record in Europe is 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 pretty lousy. Um, you know, he's uh, he was a manager of Celtic for their worst ever defeat in in Europe, the seven nil 
against Barcelona. He also was manager for 7-1 against PSG and a 5-0 against PSG. Uh, he got them into the group stage a couple of times, but they bombed when they got there. And his record, European record at Liverpool was poor. Uh, he got to the semi-final of the Conference League with Leicester, but he said going into the Conference League that he hadn't really heard of the Conference League. So I'm not sure how much of a, how much of a, an achievement that was. Overall, I think his record in group stage football plus subsequent knockouts is 20 wins from 62, which, which is pretty poor. Uh, so he'll want to, he'll want to address that. I can only assume that that is the thing that's bringing him back. That Desmond would have given him a king's ransom as a salary, but I can't imagine salary would cut it. I mean, he's a very, very rich man. It has to be, it has to be a promise to commit to more European money for better players and a proper tilt at getting to a final. From Dermot Desmond's perspective, it's a really interesting, um, epidemiology of, of managers. If you look back, he has liked to go back before, you know, Lenny was the, the comfort blanket, but then completely left field, wild card, Ange Postacoglu from the other side of the planet. And it was such a success that you felt yeah. like maybe they would have done the same thing or tried to replicate that again. But instead, it's no comfort blanket, guy I know, guy I trust, get him in. Yeah, and I think I think what's driving it, I mean, you know, when when it went wrong for the 10 in a row season, the 10 in a row that never was, things got really nasty around Celtic Park, like really nasty. Um, the hardcore element of the fans were visibly furious, banners outside the stadium, uh, a bit of kind of disquiet with players coming coming out of the, out of the stadium after after a loss against Ross County, pretty ugly scenes there. Desmond would have looked at this and said, well, I, I, this is the last thing we want. We, we don't want to go back there. He wanted Eddie Howe, obviously. He got Postacoglu, who was an absolute rip-roaring success, rebuilt the team in the blink of an eye, played excellent football, uh, won the trophies, didn't do anything in Europe, but there was a promise of me he might have done something in Europe this season or next coming season if he'd stayed. And I think I think the Celtic board must have think, certainly Desmond probably would have thought, okay, we remember what it was like when Neil Lennon left and the 10 in a row and all that. We need a safe pair of hands. The last thing we need now is to cede any kind of initiative to Rangers or to have our fans in uproar again. Who's the safest pair of hands here of all the lists, of all the candidates? And it was Brendan Rodgers. Well... Do you do you reckon Brendan Rodgers will be keen to to kind of move on from that Ange Postecoglou stamp on the team? Because you look you look around the squad, and, and and even though he was there for a relatively short period of time, the likes of Kyogo and, and Kyogo's future is going to be an important question over the next couple of weeks. But will Rodgers be keen to maybe offload some of those and put his own stamp on this team? Because it is a very Ange team. Oh, it's a totally yeah, Shane. It's a totally Ange team. Um, barring Callum McGregor and, and Greg Taylor, everybody else is is an Ange player. Um, I think he'd be crazy if he did that, if he ripped it up. Uh, Celtic fans love this team. They love these guys. They love these players. Um, the Japanese lads have been outstanding. Uh, so if he comes in and he rips it all up, I think the fans... Like, if he rips it all up and they and they win and they win and they win and they do something in the Champions League, then fine. But if he rips it up and they and they wobble, then then he's in trouble. And, like, I think, you know, the the fans... 
They've, most of them, most of them, not all of them, most of them have made some kind of peace with Rogers coming back because it was incredibly bitter when he left. It was a very, very, uh, they felt very let down. Uh, they've made some kind of peace with it. But it's, it's, it's temporary, you know? If, if he wobbles, if he loses the first old firm match, if he doesn't get it, if he doesn't do anything in the Champions League, all of this latent rancor with him, will come tumbling out again. There's no question of that. So I think I think what we'll find when he speaks tomorrow, he'll give great pra- praise to Pasta Coglu because I think he'll want to hitch his wagon to Pasta Coglu because he knows Pasta Coglu is hugely uh, popular. And he will say stuff like, oh, you know, we just build on the fantastic work by Ange Pasta Coglu, blah, 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 blah. I just hope that, that for his own sake, he doesn't go down the road of... This is the greatest club in the world. This is my dream job. I've died and gone to heaven by coming back here. All that stuff that he did the the time before, which played well then, it wouldn't play well now. So if you're advising him uh, as his press advisor, (laughs) what what do you say when you're coming back and you've left in the way that he left before? Um, I would say dial down the... Dial it down to zero, the dream job uh, stuff, uh, and maybe be a bit honest about why he left. Uh, and like it's it's you know it's there's a there's a there's a playbook in all this, Jerry. You know, uh, we will want to want to continue dominating Scottish football. Uh, we are a proud European club. We have won a European trophy. That's where we want to get back to. I will move heaven and earth to get us back to that level where we belong. All that stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, Is the, uh, I don't know, does this matter or not, but um, when you're a kid and you're getting into football and you're reading the stats, it was like Rangers were 30 league titles ahead or whatever it was when I was a child. It's now nip and tuck. Rangers have won 55 titles and Celtic have won 53 you know, obviously, we can ignore any of the other aspects of those um, numbers, the raw numbers, for now. Uh, would that be something that he could say, oh, I want to knock them off their perch or something? Is there something, some kind of... No. no? Oh, no, no, no. That would, be, that would be fatal. That would be fatal, Ger, because a lot of Celtic fans would say that Rangers have not won 55 titles. So if Rogers acknowledged that they've won 55 titles, that would be a big own goal. And I don't think he'd make that. I don't think he's going to make that own goal. Uh, I think he'll, I don't think he'll mention Rangers by name at all. Okay. Um, like Pasta Coglu has left Celtic in a very, very good place. Uh, signed lots of players for, for pretty small money whose, whose market value has increased. Uh, won a treble playing good football. I think he'll just focus on what he has, uh, what Postacoglu has built, and what he wants to add on top of that. And and the only thing that he can add, given they've won everything in Scotland, is European football, European relevance, European success. What success looks like, that's debatable. But certainly uh, getting out of the pool, you know, top two. You need a bit of the look of the draw there. But top two, get into the knockouts, that would be success. They haven't done that in a while. And although we might not mention them, Tom, like the Rangers of of now are very, very different to the to the Rangers mm. of of Rogers first time in charge at Celtic. To- totally, yeah. Like you know, they're in a bit of a rebuild at the moment. So let's see, let's see what they look like uh, at the start of next season. But their their league totals 
in finishing second over the last two years, that number was higher than Celtic's winning total in two of Rodgers' three league-winning seasons. Um, in points totals in the league, they're miles ahead of what they were under Rodgers. So they are a bigger challenge. They are spending a few quid um, at Rangers. They have, they've got offloaded Ryan Kent and Alfredo Morelos and a few others who are, who are tying up major wages. So there's in or around, I'm told, in or around 10 million in, in wages that have left the club. So that's, that's, that's a bit, that's a kind of a few quid to play with. Um, it'll be very interesting to see how they, how they, how they do next season Rangers. But Celtic, if Celtic are what they can be, then they should win and they might win a treble. I don't, and I, would that be a success for Rodgers? Pro- probably because it's a, at its heart, it's a very parochial environment. But I think fans will be looking for, for more than that. And more than that is Europe. It has to be. Why, you know, Postacoglu has won a treble, won the treble. Neil Lennon won a treble. Brendan Rodgers won a treble. It's done like, you know, it's kind of old hat. But what none of them have done um, recently is, is do something in Europe. That's the testing ground. You mentioned Eddie Howe was first choice and they ended up with Postacoglu. And Eddie Howe definitely met them and, and went quite far down the line, it looked like, in terms of negotiating with them, but then took the decision to wait for a job that ultimately ended up being the Newcastle job. It did feel like, one of the reasons why I was so sceptical about this, it felt like there was, you say, a playbook from how Eddie Howe treated taking a team down but still being well-regarded, do some friendly interviews, Sunday feature the the big name football writers in in London uh, give them one every two or three months over a period of time talk about how you're humble and you've you've travelled the world and you've spent some time with name drop famous coaches uh, <laughs> slightly uh, change your style of play done a bit of consultancy work with UEFA and um, and then suddenly one of the jobs comes up like the United job with the new owners maybe if uh, Eric Ten Hag doesn't like them the Liverpool job is obviously not going to be there for him again maybe the Man United job wouldn't get it but the Chelsea job has got to come up at some point again right uh, the Spurs job is going to come up at some point again so he he has gone back to Celtic like it's not I, I, that, that was the other side of this he could have got a, an easier job which would have had a guarantee of more investment in England I thought I, I thought that too um, and he did say, as you said earlier, he, he said he was going to take a year out. Um, he, but he's been enticed back very, very quickly. Uh, like, that's what I thought he would do. I, I thought he would take his time and that, that some good size club would come in for him, whether in England or Spain. I mean, he speaks fluent Spanish. He's very up to speed with the Spanish Spanish league. He knows he knows everything about it. Um and has made no secret of the fact that he knows everything about it. Uh, I thought he, to be honest, I thought he'd probably get a get a decent Spanish club, and that's where he would go. He's a, he has a place in Spain, uh, but no, he's come he's come back. Um, like, it's, I think I think he probably sold again. I know I'm repeating myself, but on Europe, like if he, if he is the manager who does something in Europe, then he becomes a hero, um, and he's banking on that. He knows instantly when he comes back up the road, he's not going to be loved like he was the last time. I mean, 13 or 14,000 people turned out to serenade him when he was appointed first. 
There's not going to be many people at Celtic Park tomorrow, I wouldn't have thought, to serenade him in the door. So I think it's that prospect. And it's it's ego. Like, Brendan Brendan thinks Brendan is world-class, and he, and he might be. You know, he's done well in his career. But he will come up and he will think, I can win a European trophy. If if the number, <clears throat> excuse me, if the number that Dermot Desmond has given him in terms of transfer budget is juicy, the Rodgers will think, I can, I can, like Rangers got to a Europa League final. Why can't we get to a Europa, Europa League final? Why can't we win it? He will think, he will think that way because that's the way he's, that's the way he, his brain works. And fair play to him. You know, he's very, very ambitious. I am, yeah, like you, I am surprised. But if he thinks he can win a European trophy with Celtic, it makes a bit of sense. Yeah, and I think that's to his credit. And I understand a lot of people are reluctant to give Rogers too much credit for stuff like that. And maybe it is just ego, and so therefore, you know, he had no choice because he thought it was going to be able to. So it's, uh, it's complicated. It's a complex situation. It, yeah, it is. And he lays on the, this is my boyhood club, this is my dream job. He lays that on with a trowel. I mean, he just slaps it on there, right? But... We sh- that shouldn't take away from the fact that he does. He is very fond of Celtic, absolutely, and has been for a long, long time. He does admire the club. He he had a until it went wrong when he when he exited stage left at a rate of knots. He uh, the fans loved him. They worshipped him. Um. So he will imagine that he will win them all over again. That they'll fall in love with him again that they'll win all the trophies again, plus Europe, and every, and they'll all live happily ever after. And then somebody from England will come in and he'll exit stage left again. Or maybe one of the super clubs. If he, if he wins the Europa League, then suddenly, uh, you know. I'd, yeah, maybe. I'd say, I'd say I'd love to know, and he'll never admit it, but I'd love to ask him, I'd love to hear his innermost thoughts on Postacoglu getting the Spurs job. I'd say he's livid. <laughs> I'd say he's livid. You know, uh, Postacoglu is here for, for two seasons and he gets one of the top jobs in England. Um, Rogers, with everything that he's achieved, achieved in the game, gets Leicester, a very good club, but he got Leicester, not Spurs. And nearly got Leicester to the Champions League twice, like, yeah. you know, which was um, definitely, uh, which would which is, is again in the plus column for him. So, uh, Tom, good stuff. Great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. It's Tom English, uh, BBC Scotland, giving us some thoughts on the latest situation at Celtic. You think it's going to be a success? I think so. Uh, it, it, to me, although I, I agree with you, it was a surprise to see his name linked. I think then when they selected him, I was like, yeah, that probably makes sense. I never thought about that. As Tom says, maybe Rogers' innermost thoughts on um, Ange heading to North London and getting the Spurs gig are probably quite interesting. And uh, to hear what Brendan Rodgers would think of that behind the scenes would be fairly fascinating. I thought Brendan Rodgers would have been perfect for Spurs. I think Ange is also perfect for Spurs. And I think um, both of them would have been successful. I think both of them would have finished potentially top six and we'll get the crowd going and turn the new Tottenham Stadium into something really special so uh, we shall see 9.35 this morning on tomorrow's programme Ireland versus Zambia preview Cork Hurling star Patrick Horgan more Gaelic football build up and plenty more besides have a wonderful Wednesday OCB AM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition available now